It's draft day for the Indiana Pacers. Welcome inside the Fan Midday Show and the DriveFuber.com studios. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison will guide us throughout the afternoon. No new trades to report as of now, at least on the Pacers front as things stand. They still have that number seven pick in their pocket. That will be a constant discussion throughout the show and kind of our plot line throughout of whether or not they keep that pick or if they try to trade to bring in a ready-made starter that is not in that same realm of a couple years development to get things rocking and rolling. James, glad to have you back in. Always good to have you here in studio. Birthday. You were afar yesterday. By afar, I mean afar from the studios when the news broke from their first trade of what we think could be at least one more, depending on how the board and how things present tonight. As we got the clarity from the reports of what was being moved yesterday and what the Pacers were acquiring, we knew it was a trade with the Denver Nuggets for Denver to get into the first round with the Pacers' 29th pick. But we also knew that the Pacers were receiving a first-rounder next year. It was a point of discussion for a little bit of which pick it was, and then we find out it's actually the worst of a number of picks that the Nuggets have in their arsenal, not, in fact, their pick next year. So it could very well end up being a nice pick in the middle to back end of the first round versus a pick that's at the very back end of the first round. So initial thoughts from you on that first trade, and then I know we were discussing before we went on the air, that seventh pick, there's discussions, there's offers, at least reported conversations happening. Sources. Where do they ultimately end up going tonight in your mind with seven? You can take either one worse well, first my, to start the show. My sources are telling me this is just <laughs> my own head. <laughs> Appreciate the clarity and the honesty. <laughs> but, um, the first trade I thought was smart just because we all knew they weren't going to be able to draft, I believe, five players or something like that. That's just not feasible for a team that's really young. It was going to be sort of a like slaughter fest, basically, where you just knock each other out because you're all fighting for playing time. So it makes sense that they didn't you know, keep hold on to all those picks. And then they recouped the first, which, again, is it a very high first? No. But it's still a first-round pick that be, that could become another asset down the line, whether you use it or package it with something else. So I thought that was pretty smart. And then moving on to where they are with number seven, I personally think that they're going to keep the pick. And this again, this is just me theorizing because I feel like it would take a lot for the Pacers to get the exact player that they want. And then the team that knows that probably wouldn't be willing to play ball um, as, but as much as you would hope. I, I look at a lot of these um, hypothetical trades, and I did it a lot last year because I was doing covering the Pacers draft, and every time I'm like, do I even know what I'm talking about? Because they're always so, in my opinion, one-sided to the, whatever beat writer wrote that one. Or even if they're not uh, one-sided and they're pretty fair, you just never know how compensation looks. And so um, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. I do think that how the board falls before them will definitely de- determine how aggressive they, they are because, as we said off air, if one of the Thompson twins drops, then I think it's a no-brainer to take one of them because they have that star player potential, I believe, but I don't think they're going to drop. And so um, we'll have to see how it goes. But I think that they're going to be conservative because that's what the Pacers usually do. Draft the player, make sure he fits whatever style of play you want going forward, and again, as we said off air, I think it'll be between the trio of most likely Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker, or Taylor Hendricks. That appears to be, at least from 
we joke about this during the NFL season, but as you're following mocks and you're following the reports and all the smoke that's out there, at least today on draft day, the clarity appears to be Thompson Twins likely won't be there. Mm-mm. Even if there's a trade involving the Trailblazers or the Hornets with their second and third picks in order of where we're at within the top of the draft, knowing that Victor Wembanyama is going to go first. Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, likely to be off the board. And yeah, you outlined it there. Anthony Black could potentially be there, but again, that's not a name that's really been linked to the Pacers as of late. Most of it's been Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks, and then they did work out Cam Whitmore among a number of different prospects that they worked out over the last couple of weeks. Each one would fill a different need with this team. Everybody talks about what Jairus Walker, can you imagine a front court balance with him and Miles Turner and what that might do for the Pacers from an offensive standpoint. There's high upside, at least there was prior to these workout rumors with Cam Whitmore about whether or not, you know, perhaps the workouts didn't go the way he wanted to with some teams, but he is viewed as a player that is capable of fitting in a system where at least at his young age, he's not required to fully be a shot creator all the time. His three-point shooting numbers dipped a little bit the back end of the season last year, but his catch-and-shoot numbers were still very solid, I think right around 35-40%. And when you think about an offense that involves Tyrese Halliburton, in theory, being your dominant ball handler, I don't mind that, having somebody that is good at just being a spot-up shooter initially as you try to grow and develop them. And then Taylor Hendricks, there's two-way versatility across the board with him. You look at his length, you look at his size, the ability as a pull-up shooter, but also as somebody that is both versatile in that regard and will fight for offensive rebounds. I get every avenue. There's not a ton of frustration at this point with the direction that they go unless they reach for somebody that wasn't necessarily on the radar that we're confused as to how that fit goes. Brady Dick? Could be. Or if they trade the pick for a prospect, or not a prospect, they trade the pick for a veteran that Again, initially doesn't fit the system. That I know there's been links of, of them and maybe Atlanta linking up to get a trade. Uh, Jake Fisher from Yahoo had, had mentioned that. Also addresses the fact, though, that in a piece on Yahoo.com, that from where they are with the trade they made yesterday, the most telling thing from that in my mind, James, was with 26 and 29 at the time yesterday, which is the two first rounders they had at the back end of the draft, they didn't see the type of value for those picks they wanted to try to move up to 15 or 17 or to try to get a package together to go get somebody like a DeAndre Hunter or somebody like an OG Ananobi. It doesn't mean it can't happen, but it means to me that the market has told them what the value of those picks were, and that is why they viewed the upside of having an additional first-round pick next year while still retaining four first-rounders at this point this year's draft. And who knows if they actually make all those selections, right? I mean, at the end of the day, they have three roster spots available. Granted, one of their four picks is 55, so you could draft four and maybe you wind up cutting one of them, but there also is still value at the back end of the second round where maybe there is still one more trade for them to make. When you look at the roster as it stands, is the biggest need you want addressed within pick seven, like right out of the gate, still a wing, or is there a prospect where if you look at, oh, this guy falls or this guy falls, one of the Thompson twins, for instance, it might be too good to pass up. Yeah, I think that's the case with the Thompson Twins in specific um, because I believe their talent, their upside is pretty high, probably higher than other players in that range that could fall. 
you know, besides Victor Womanyamba, who will fall um, to number <laughs> seven. <laughs> I cannot say this with a straight face anymore. Um, but no, I, I think that the other thing you have to weigh besides who might fall, which again, I think the Pacers shouldn't necessarily draft for fit if one of the Thompson twins fell because they're so talented. And I feel like you can just figure it out because of the talent level and the youth, which helps. But you also have to factor in, okay, what did the free agent market look like? I know this isn't happening today, but would you rather, let's say, keep number seven, go Taylor Hendricks and get sort of a bigger player and then try to pursue someone like Harrison Barnes or Grant Williams in free agency? Like, is that in play? Because those are proven guys who can knock down shots, play defense, and will give you sort of that switchability you need to kind of survive on the defensive end in the NBA now. So that's something else to weigh. But I do think, even though last year they had a higher pick at number six, this year is a little bit more intriguing to me because of the possibilities, because you already know what you have. Like, last year they didn't really know what they had. It was promising with Tyrese, but you didn't know – what he would look like with Miles. He hadn't played with Miles yet. And so this year, you see, okay, Tyrese is an all-star. Miles had a career year. Buddy Heald is still one of the most prolific three-point shooters ever in the league history. And he's still going at, I think, like nine attempts a game and shooting a high clip. And so you wonder, how do you win now? And if you really should pursue a win-now player, because there's going to be growing pains that that young player goes through that obviously a guy like Harrison Barnes or Kyle Kuzma or Grant Williams would have already gone through. Now, I said Kyle Kuzma. I I kind of laugh because I don't think he's coming to Indy unless they give him a huge sum of money. And even then, I'm curious to see, and I know I'm getting a little bit away from the draft, but how do they play free agency paired with the draft? Because in years past, we know the Pacers usually don't won get a lot of free agent interest, and two, pay free agents a lot of money. And so you just wonder, how does the draft factor into that? And and do they feel like this is their moment to go get it because it's the cheapest way to do it and perhaps the best way to do it if you really hit on the guy? I will say two things because I agree with most of what you said in regard to their free agency approach, but they have shown a willingness to break open the checkbook if need be. Look no further than last year. And and even if you want to call it, well, it was a a shield because most people thought the Suns would match anyway. They made an offer that a year removed now looks very foolish if DeAndre Ayton is here in Indiana, given what he put on the table last year in Phoenix. Again, I I understand that we were optimistic about what that would look like, and it would have been one of the best free agent signings just from initial shock value in Pacers history. But they were willing to, at least on paper, open the checkbook at that point. I hear you, but the larger issue is people coming here. Yes. That, 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 I mean, that is, that is at I the agree. end of the day, the hand tied behind your back that most small market teams deal yeah. with is how do you sell Indiana unless you are right in a championship window and they're not there yet? I believe there are ways to sell Indiana on the roster alone. I would like, particularly if I was a wing, to be able to play with somebody as efficient with the basketball as Tyrese Halliburton. Yep. Like, I would like to play for a coach like Rick Carlisle. I would like to have somebody that has my back like Miles Turner. Like I, I, I like the aspects of this team, but again, you have to sell Indiana. All that said, your point about where their win now mode is goes back to our point on look at what the Denver Nuggets did. And again, I get it. They hit a home run of home runs with Nikola Jokic. I'm not even talking about where they got him in the draft. That type of selection is the home run of home runs that 
every team dreams of finding yeah, anywhere in the anywhere draft. In the draft. Yeah. But it also took them seven, eight years to get to that point. And it wasn't like they were a lottery team every year. They were playoff teams for the better part of the last five or six years with varying degrees of success and struggles over that time period. So while I agreed the win-now mode is tantalizing, I would caution fans and everyone else alike, we're getting names now that are being linked to the Pacers that are probably just the chatter of draft day. Zion Williamson? (laughs) (laughs) I've I've not seen that one yet, but if that's there, please send that my way. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga, DeAndre Hunter, who again, Hunter's probably more realistic than any of them because that's been a name that the Pacers have been linked to for a little bit. Uh, Tobias Harris. And then, of course, you go... You go out west, and Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, once again linked to the Lakers. That's that's going to happen until the end of time. I wouldn't pay that much attention whatsoever. Oh, it's going to happen, fan. Jimmy, because this is yep. the Lakers we're talking exactly. about. They get everyone. Yep. Yep. Lakers exceptionalism. But no, I agree with what you said, but I do think it's worth pointing out that it wasn't a true free agent signing Fair. last year. Fair. Um, that was, in my opinion, I remember covering that. And thinking, I am wasting my day because the because entire, you thought the Suns would match. Yes, seriously, and, and it's not because and a lot of people did to be yeah, clear. And it wasn't necessarily because they wanted DeAndre Aiden. It's because you can't let a former number one pick walk for nothing. Even now, they might feel like, oh, we regret paying this guy, whatever. But looking at the moves that they just made, they're probably going to trade him and get some assets in return for him they hope so his trade value is kind of low right now i get that i don't want that but even then anywhere near my book if you keep him and he comes out and he plays pretty well great you have another guy to pair with three you know all nba players that's a luxury the suns can afford to play with at this point though and then if he does and then if you still feel like well we don't have enough depth and he plays just decently well if he comes out at the beginning of next season and gives you 17 and 10 on 55 percent shooting or something like that can you trade him then and get some depth so um again this is all an option or options that they would not have had had they just let him walk last season. So I remember writing the article, what does it mean? The Pacers finally told the money. And then like 10 minutes later, oh, they just matched it. And I was like, oh, wow, this is all for nothing. I had this big breakout, this huge breakdown. I hope you all read it. If you didn't, I don't blame you because I didn't want to read it anymore after I wrote it. So We've got a uh, Jabari Smith, Paulo Bancaro 2.0 brewing again. According to Sham Charania, Scoot Henderson is gaining serious momentum at number two for the Charlotte Hornets in tonight's NBA draft. Hornets have been torn over the last week because Henderson and Brandon Miller uh, team has final meetings today to settle on their decision. You know what that is, Eddie? That is MJ hearing the slander <laughs> that has come out of the mouth of Brandon Miller. And he's like, you know what? I don't want this kid. My last pick <laughs> of me being the majority owner of the Hornets is not going to be used on a kid who doesn't know who I am and what I have done in this league. Now, he knows who he is, but if any of you have been following the Brandon Miller train lately, it has been hilarious to understand and see <laughs> what he's been saying he said paul george is his goat yes and i was thinking of what <laughs> you know i understand paul george is actually a very good player gatorade commercials maybe he doesn't want to go to charlotte and that's why he said it maybe i mean i'm not gonna lie i was rooting for charlotte not to get the number one pick because i could just not picture victor Wimbenyamba <laughs> in that uniform playing for that franchise which again no jokes it's not been a good franchise under MJ's ownership. So I was thinking to myself, if we're going to have a star player like that come into the NBA with all these expectations, please send him somewhere where careers do not just never develop or never get any better and they never make the playoffs, things like that. But that's on a tangent. And so we'll see. But I think that Scoot should be in heavy consideration for number two because he is 
a prolific guard. I mean, he is maybe prolific isn't the best word, but like he's kind of a phenom with the way he's played. He's been a pro for the last two or three years, I believe. Super athletic, and he's working with Steph Curry too. So if he gets his jumper down, good luck. Uh, I'm sorry to break your heart on this. I know you're devastated in the amount of t-shirts that you made of the hashtag Wemby to Indy. Uh, Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison here on the Fan Midday Show. You cannot bet Victor Wembanyama to be selected seventh. I'm sorry, it's not even available on the board. I know that. I know. I know you're probably wanting to make a last ditch effort there, but it, it's not even there, James. It's not about the bet. I'm telling you what the future holds. Okay, is it even there for three? I wonder. Uh, so they've taken everything else off the board on DraftKings Sportsbook outside of the first pick, and then it drops to sixth, likely because of Shams reporting the Scoot Henderson movement and then ramifications as they try to adjust the draft boards on the betting lines. That's, a, again, a friendly reminder if you're interested in sprinkling something on there, whether it's the Pacers or elsewhere, the draft, much like the NFL draft, is bettable in a number of different props. If, if you're not a player. If you're not, if you're not a player in the NBA or on a NFL team yes. complex, yes. as long as you're not on any of those two yes. spots, you should be fine. <laughs> Last night as well, I know that you and I were up for it because we discussed it before we came in here. I would assume Eddie Garrison was as well, but... It looked like for a second, Malcolm Brogdon was headed to L.A., three-team deal, and then in probably the smartest decision in Clippers franchise history, they reevaluate the medicals there on old Malcolm Brogdon. Didn't like what they saw. Color me shocked. Deal falls apart. But then the Memphis Grizzlies enter the fray. Marcus Smart headed to Memphis. Kristaps Porzingis still headed to Boston. The rest of the semantics with the Wizards. We'll dive into that in a second. I don't really care about the Wizards at this point. All I care about is the big pieces that are moving. Which so is, rude. No. They, 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 <laughs> honestly, I don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Washington. Uh, but I don't. Chris Tappersing is to Boston. Marcus Smart to Memphis. And the ramifications there as well of two to three years left on the Marcus Smart deal. And you have a veteran now in that locker room that I'm not even saying is going to reel in jaw. I'm just saying is somebody that would fit an ideal situation if you were looking for a vet to bring into a young core. Initial reactions to that from you, because when the news broke yesterday, Kristaps Porzingis' destination didn't change. It wound up being Boston, even though it's a different team in the three-team deal. I really like it. Porzingis quietly had one of the better years of his career last year. Yeah, um, I know that he has not quite lived up to the consistency of the hype that he had initially coming out of the draft and has been on a number of stops along the way, but I like the idea of what he can bring to the Boston Celtics, assuming, again, he's able to have even close to the type of year that he had last year in Washington. That's the big if, right? I was uh, not completely shocked about the deal not coming through, and I, I find this hilarious. I saw this thread with Caitlin Cooper covers the Pacers, and she does an awesome job. Obviously, we all know how her greatness. We talk about generational talents. Wimby is not the only one. Caitlin Cooper, shout out to the GOAT. And then Tony East were talking about how reporters, and I guess I'll include myself in this, where we use the their serious talks, their strong talks. How strong was it? Because it fell apart. You know, there were, I mean, it basically, from Woj and Shams, it was essentially, this is what's going to happen. And then it didn't. And then they pivoted from there. And so to get back into the point of this conversation, I think Kristaps is a great pickup for Boston. You give up, I think, a lot on the defensive end because obviously Marcus Smart was a defensive player of the year and someone who impacts the game in a variety of ways on that end. 
But I think the front court fit works a little bit better because Kristaps can shoot it. He can stretch the floor. And he was, I believe, his healthiest in the NBA uh, last season since he's kind of arrived. So that was important. And I thought that they made a move that may hurt the locker room as far as, man, it's my brother just got traded. But they also realized this is a very much a win now. Let's capitalize on this move. And Kristaps is still pretty young. I think he's like 27. So you just hope that, you know, you can keep him healthy for a season. But again, a big if. I know he was healthy last season, but it's kind of a similar boat with Malcolm Brogdon where you hope that the guy stays healthy, but it's a different fit for them. And I think that's a good fit for them because Boston was really, really guard heavy. And so you lose a little bit again with Marcus Smart, but you gain, I think, a lot of offensive versatility with Boston. And my only caveat there is, does this mean that Jalen Brown has to handle the ball more? Seriously. And, and, and it, will he work on his ball handling this offseason? Because it's going to, by default, you lose a pair of guards in Malcolm Brogdon and um, Marcus Smart. You wonder, okay, what does this mean as far as the ball handling of this team? And so that's something to factor in. But then for Memphis, you feel like you might have landed someone who can kind of be the adult in the room, which is crazy to say, right? Because Marcus Smart is always into something. But in fairness to him, he's never been like – in a bunch of off-court trouble or, you know, been a distraction to the team. Like, he says some things here and there, but he shows up every game. He usually backs it up. And so I think that he's a great pickup for them. It could help them basically save their season through those first 25 games, I believe, because it's going to be, I guess, a bit easier because you know Jaws going to be out, so you can kind of plan for that. But it still won't be easy without having you know an all-NBA caliber player. And so I think that Marcus is going to help alleviate some of that pressure, give them a defensive identity, and sort of offer up some of the defensive uh, things that Dylan Brooks brought, but with way better shooting. The other thing that gets very interesting within these reports and rumors in the lead-up to tonight's draft is that suddenly gives Portland a real opportunity I don't want to say it necessarily increases the value, but if Scoot Henderson goes there, despite the wild comments that Brandon Miller has made about (laughs) who he thinks the greatest player of all time is, and I don't know what his intentions were with that, other than, okay, that's a new talking point with Brandon Miller. It it, it moves everything else away, but it's instead a reaction to, this guy is Paul George, the greatest player of all time. Wow, that's, 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 that's quite a take there from Brandon Miller. What does it do for the Trailblazers from a trade standpoint if at all in terms of Scoot Henderson is now off the board at two but instead Brandon Miller there at three because we know they've been fielding calls for the better part of the last couple of weeks yeah I mean it's something to think about for sure and with Dame you hear it like over and over oh he doesn't want to leave they don't want to change but I heard this this morning I forget why I'm listening to it might have been get up but on ESPN, but you you look at this situation and it feels to me sort of like the KG in Minnesota where you've given everything and maybe it's just time to look at the franchise and say, hey, this guy's getting older. He's in his early 30s. Let's just strip it now, go young and try to recoup what we can and restart. And then as a player, you go somewhere where you can win now. I don't think anybody looks at KG and says, his career is tainted because he didn't win in Minnesota. Like he gave everything yeah. he could. He was a league MVP. 
Damian Lillard is not quite on that level, but he was, you know, voted as a top 75 player all time. And so if you're Portland and you feel like, man, we don't have to move up, we could just stay at three and get another generational guard, a generational talent, why not, you know, do it? But again, that's if he falls. If he doesn't fall, then what? Like if Scoot goes at number two, Jimmy, what are you doing? Like, do you just take Brandon Miller and and is that enough for you to feel like, okay, well, we're just, we could just move on from him and keep Anthony Simons and go from there? I mean, there's a lot of things they have to weigh. And again, it's still, when I heard Brian Winnows this morning, he was basically saying like, Portland still wants to keep Damian Lillard, which they have to say, you want to keep the, I guess, keep the, the bidding high if there is in- inquiries about him. But I heard Woj, I say, believe yesterday, say that the, the talks have been shut down. I think that's just shut down for now. I think after they pick someone in the draft, everything will be back on the table because, I mean, as much as you love what Scoot Henderson could become, Brandon Miller could become, they're not going to become that soon enough to the point where Portland's a serious contender, especially out there in the West. I mean, I love Damian Lillard. I think his game is awesome. I think he's a really good ambassador for their team, for the league, whatever the case may be. But he's also not – He, I don't think he could be the best player on the championship team either. So he, I think he has to go somewhere and play with someone else. And I'm not saying that as a disrespect to him. Sure. But if we look at the league, and Eddie, you, maybe you could chime in as well, but when was the last time a smaller guard was the best player on a championship team? It's I mean, Steph. Yes. But, I mean, beyond him, Steph is like the exception to the rule. Seriously. Like, if you think about it, when was the last time that you could definitively say NBA champion, their best yep. player – was a smaller guard. I mean, I, I, I get it. Tony Parker won a Finals MVP sure. back in 2007, I believe. But we all knew that was Tim Duncan's team. That's not the – I mean, it's – Mario Chalmers. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's tough, man. It's, it's tough sledding for yeah. that franchise, and they have to figure it out because, I mean, nothing is worse than ending up sort of like the Wizards. But this isn't new. That's my issue with all this. Yeah. The state of the Trailblazers is not new. Like but, Dame knew what he signed up for. I know. I, and I, to well, be clear, he's one of my favorite players yeah, for a in lot the of league. But he, he took cash and he took loyalty, and I appreciate that. But then, and who knows how much of it is actually legitimate, but, and I don't think it's toxic. I think it's genuinely the team and the player view themselves as going two separate directions, and it's a respectful transition, I think. But the idea there's now frustration there, it's like, man... What did you think was going to happen? Like the closest yeah. you guys yeah. got was five games of the Warriors in, in, in out of the conference finals, the conference semis oh. a couple years ago. That's it. Like that. That's the closest you've gotten to the even having a shot at the Larry O'Brien Trophy. And when he signed the extension, it's like, all right, Dame appreciates loyalty and he's getting paid, and I respect that. But he doesn't. He, he doesn't want to go win a championship elsewhere. He I cares agree. about the legacy more, and that's very admirable. But now here we are. Once again, another offseason, and now for the first time in a while, there's at least smoke of frustration. What did you think was going to happen in Portland? Like, it's just, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm, like, I'm not even saying that in a hindsight thing. I've never viewed the Portland Trailblazers the last 10 years as a true Western Conference threat. I just haven't. No, and I do feel like it is a bit of a tired subject, but that's the NBA, baby. There's always going to be, if there's a star in a city that isn't, L.A., New York, Miami, whatever the case may be, they're going to try to send that player to that city. I mean, it happens. Sure. Another name you can throw out is Dame's coach. Yeah, sure. that's true. That's true. 
James Boyd, Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cook. We've got a great show for you today. Jim Trotter going to join us, give us an inside look at all the meetings that also James Boyd was a part of in regards to the NFL having a meeting with the media in regards to their gambling policy. We'll get updates on that. Tony East going to join us as well. Brett Siegel, Seth Greenberg. It's a loaded show for you on Pacers Draft Day. We'll go NFL for a brief period, get the latest on their gambling policies with Jim Trotter of The Athletic when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Fan Midday Show, Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, here at the DriveHubler.com studios. <laughs> so waiting, Jim Trotter of The Athletic, going to join us here momentarily. We have him on the line. Sorry about that, listeners out there. <laughs> I was looking at Jimmy, he was looking at me, he was like that Spider-Man meme where it's like, you go, no, you go. No, you, no, you, no, you. So, We're just too friendly, that's what it is. There it is, we're live, we're in action. Jim, you're on the line, how you doing? <laughs> how you doing, guys? Appreciate you, man. I know we were on this gambling Zoom for the NFL a couple days ago, riveting stuff, but <laughs> what was your main takeaway? And I know you wrote about this, but of the hypocrisy and maybe the double standards that are included in all of this. Yeah, no question. Man. Look, the, the reality here, if we're going to boil it down to the bone is if you think, if you're concerned about gambling and, and the integrity of the game and all those things, then just have one rule for everybody who receives an NFL paycheck and make that rule that nobody is allowed to gamble on anything, period. Having two separate rules, from my perspective, makes no sense. Rules for players and rules for non-players is just ridiculous. So, you know, when you talk to people, what you hear is that, well, yeah, the league doesn't have to collectively bargain this with the players, but if it were to impose a, a full restriction on gambling against the players, if the Players Association would push back, and then you'd probably end up in court again and all those sorts of things. The reality is they came to an agreement some time ago that if, if they allowed the players to bet on everything but NFL, it benefits both groups in terms of revenue share. So if, as has been estimated, the NFL will receive – over $2 billion from gambling entities this year, then the players will get a share of that, the owners will get a share of that, and everyone should be happy. But all these little, you know, offset rules about you can't place a bet from the locker room, but you can walk across the street off of the premises and place a bet on your phone. Oh, that is so ridiculous, man. Just make one set of rules for everybody. Yeah, Jim, we were when they were breaking it down, I was like, wait, how does this make it? any sense in any fashion it doesn't we try to make sense of it it doesn't but the other thing I wanted to touch on is was there anything that maybe surprised you from it I think for me one of the gray areas that confused me was them being able to geolocate your phone and being made aware of any NFL bets that are placed from your house even if it's not you and I'm like how do you parse through and figure out who made what bet and if that person had inside information or if they used like say if you have a joint account with a family member and they placed a bet on a game does that get you in trouble like there wasn't enough time to really get into a lot of some of these weeds but like you said I think when you don't have a uniform set of rules 
it makes things like that very weird to me and very difficult for you to get caught up with, with which again if I was a player don't come to my house and bet like all phones must be like thrown into a bin at the door and, and just not used for the night or something because to me that's kind of a, a, a murky water to be in yeah look the, the reality is that these professional sports leagues know more about these players than maybe these players know about themselves they have security they have tie-ins with you know former FBI folks law enforcement folks and whatnot where they're on top of it and the thing that struck me in that conversation as well was um you know, Sarah, uh, Sabrina Perel saying that um, that in the partnerships with these gambling sites and whatnot, they had integrity protection, which means that the sites are working with the league to make sure that they can identify who is placing bets and when and where and that sort of thing. And all of that to me is like Big Brother. That's kind of scary. <laughs> but again, the players have signed off on it. So I'm not sure you being, you know, I don't want to say upset, but having concerns about it or me having concerns about it, it really doesn't matter because the players have signed off on it simply for the sake of that additional revenue, which which increases their salaries. Jim, I agree with you that I feel like just one sweeping rule for everybody that would be in place and emphasized to the umpteenth degree would fix all of these problems. But when I'm, I'm reading your piece and I'm reading the quotes out of that press conference or media availability on the gambling matter. None of it makes any sense. None of it makes any sense. And on top of it, like I get one of the quotes uh, from the committee and from their members within the NFL's legal department that, well, it's never going to change with non-NFL players being able to bet on any games whatsoever. And it's like, okay, that's great that you have that policy, but how is that fixing the root issue of Calvin Ridley was supposed to be a poster child for don't do this, even though I always thought Pete Rose and the Chicago Black Sox were ingrained in sports culture of, hey, don't do this if you're a professional athlete. But Ridley was supposed to be the modern day version of, hey, don't do this. And it still hasn't stuck. So so from from your takeaways from this, how are they not losing the plot with worried about too many things versus the biggest matter at hand in my mind, which is players can't figure out this betting policy? Well, I don't think it's necessary that they can't figure it out. I think there was a lot of ignorance and and um, about it and a feeling that maybe to some young players that, you know, it's really not as serious as it's being made out to be. Because I didn't know, even as someone who follows this league, like you can't place a bet from your hotel room if you're on the road. You know, that I'm like, really? So that's considered that you're on their time, work time. So therefore, you can't. That's considered work premises at that point. So I think what what the um, what the league and the players' association have done now is <clears throat> they have done a better job of explaining this to players and emphasizing this. And here's the other thing: and the league admitted this during that Zoom call. They want us to know about the investigation mm-hmm. and who's being disciplined because they want to use that as a deterrent to educate these players that ignorance is not a defense. And if you screw up, we're going to come after you. And, and, you know, I think we all have to agree that, yeah, this has gotten the players' attention based on the suspensions that we have had to this point. So I understand why they're doing that. And, and, and to some degree, I think that is smart. What I think is not smart is that you don't have a uniform policy for everyone. Because I, I truly don't understand why you can say, well, I know why, because I've been told, League employees are not unionized, so therefore they can't fight this the way that the players could. Um, and so therefore, 
to me, when you say to employees, you are not allowed to bet on anything, period, exclamation point, end of story, nothing. To me, that just seems so overreaching on the league's part, and yet employees can't do anything about it, again, because they're not unionized, and they simply have to accept that. This is... The NFL, in a nutshell. (laughs) I feel like they're always kind of getting in their own way, and it comes down to money. I think whenever we ask these questions, Jim, on these Zoom calls or press conferences, they cannot just come out and say it, but we all know it usually pertains to money. Now, It always pertains to money. Yes, exactly. They say that the, the integrity of the game is paramount. The money made off of the integrity of the game is paramount. And so... Kind of pivoting away from the league perspective, we have a situation here in Indianapolis with Isaiah Rogers Sr. He allegedly violated these gambling rules. Now, from some of the reports we saw, the stuff that he's being alleged doing is pretty extensive, and, and it seems like he really did not make very good decisions if this is all true. can Do you think that his career is in jeopardy, considering that he isn't you know, a Calvin Ridley, he isn't a 1,400-yard receiver. and they're... Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If these things are true as alleged, um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can see the league making an example of them. And, and the league has no qualms with that. Again, they, they want to get their hands around this. And they want to make sure that players know that there are serious consequences if you violate this policy. And so if you have a player and it is proven that – almost like he just thumbed his nose at the policy, you know. Um, trust me, they're not going to have any any compassion or empathy or anything else. They're going to move on um, because it's bigger than any one player. Um, and Calvin Ridley should feel fortunate that he is back in the league uh, because I'm telling you, as this thing goes forward and we have more and more suspensions, if it continues to happen, I don't think they're going to be as tolerant as, as, as they have shown to this point. My, so, go ahead. Yeah, so my only follow-up, and I wanted to ask this to them. So how do they know, and maybe you've asked around, how do they know if the information is being retained? Because to me, when they showed us the PowerPoint, I was looking at it and I was like, this is like every college class I've ever had. As soon as you pull up a PowerPoint, <laughs> I am zoned out. Like, I don't want to see this. This is boring. This person, I don't know, is going to come in here and just waste my time. But <laughs> obviously, it's very, yeah, it's very important, they, right? Yeah, but here's the thing. That's on you. No, you know, I agree. They, I agree. They, yeah, they I give agree. you the information. There has to be a level of, of, of accountability. So I can't give players a pass for, you know, using ignorance as a defense when, when you have been spoken to repeatedly about it and they have given you the information. I might not like it, but if it is a working condition for playing in the NFL, I better adhere to it or else I'm not going to be playing in the NFL. I agree. So that's on the player. What do things look like from here? Because to go back to our original conversation, like I, I agree with you, Jim, that I don't think it's I don't blame the players for betting on the NBA in a hotel room or betting on a college basketball game in a practice facility. Like that's weird semantics that like I don't I don't see how that's jeopardizing the integrity of the NFL in situations like that. Where I've had the larger issue is Isaiah Rogers' case of betting on NFL games after Ridley got a year for it and that's the part I don't get. What does this look like from a policy standpoint in an ideal world for the NFL where they're able to stabilize all of this outside of no more suspensions and everybody gets it? Like, well, What are we looking at from an enforcement and a process? Because it seemed like from your story there were other suspensions that could potentially be looming. 
Um, you don't, like I said in my story, you don't have to put your ear too firmly to the ground to hear that, that more is coming. So, um, again, that's why I say to you it's ridiculous to have two policies. If, as they said, remember, when Sabrina was asked whether or not the policy would ever change for league employees, meaning non-players, she said she couldn't foresee that. Why? Because the policy has worked so far in terms of protecting the integrity of the game. Well, if you feel the best way to protect the integrity of the game is by having a zero gambling policy for your employees, why wouldn't you want that for the players as well? Why not have it for everybody? And that's why I said it doesn't make sense to me. When you start making these cutouts and provisions, that's where you start to get in trouble. Because I'll ask this, have we heard of any player? I'm I'm sorry, non-player being suspended for gambling? I'm I'm, I'm going through it in my mind now. I've not heard of a league employee being suspended or or fired for for gambling. Maybe you guys have. A couple of Detroit coaches, maybe. I believe they they were kind of caught up in that, but not really like names and things like that. Yeah, so for me, um, that's the answer is to simply have a zero tolerance. So, Jim, before you get out of here, I know you are at the QB summit and it's in conjunction with the black college football hall of fame can you just tell us a little bit about that event and maybe those who aren't aware of it and how important it is and why you're out there doing your thing yeah really since 2018 was the first year the league partnered with the black college football hall of fame to have a quarterback summit and that was at the time where we were hearing that there weren't blacks on the offensive side of the football as coordinators and quarterback coaches and whatnot and so their whole thing the narrative at that time was to create a pipeline to show that there are blacks who coach quarterbacks, who are offensive coordinators, who can be head coaches, all that, which is all a joke to me anyway. But having said that, this is the fifth year of that, and and, uh, two years ago they started a similar program for aspiring general managers. And so here's my thing, and and this is partly I'm giving you a preview of what I'm writing, is that over the last three years we've seen the NFL go from never having had a black club president to now having five. We've seen it go from having one black general manager to having eight now. And yet during these last five years, we have not seen a single increase in the number of black head coaches in the NFL. So I'm trying to get someone to explain to me why we would see these increases in inclusivity as it relates to front office positions, but we're not seeing it on the field. And I'm going to shock you guys with this. I can't get a good answer. (laughs) <laughs> well look I appreciate your time Jim safe travels my man and I'm sure we'll see each other down the line okay guys have a good day thanks Jim and that's Jim Trotter my co-worker at The Athletic covers the NFL as a national columnist always has an opinion always has a stance but it's usually backed up with a lot of research he's been around for a long time and I thought what he said was very fascinating. You know, I felt like it validated how I felt on that Zoom call about all the gambling policies. Now, the one thing that I wanted to get in there, he kind of cut me off, which I felt like I was a student and he's a teacher. He's like, well, it's on you if you don't know what you're, you know, uh, what's being told to you. Or you're not retaining it. But I will say this. I understand that argument, Jimmy. It's not even an argument. It's a fact. You, you should be paying attention when they're talking about your career and what you can do to keep your career going however my only thing and the reason why i think the nfl should maybe seriously consider how they quantify or or chart how their information is being retained when it comes to gambling policy is because situations like this keep coming up so obviously whatever you're doing isn't working 
And so in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, seriously, and I understand you should take it more seriously. You should. You should. But if you don't, what are you doing to like make sure that they understand? And, and I don't say this because some, a lot of the rules, the six main ones were pretty simple to me. But if there's any nuance, can you just explain it to them? For example, if you asked, and I don't know the answer to this, if you asked them, hey, what if someone placed a bet in my house that isn't me? isn't pertain to me like how do I not get in trouble for that well so my thought with that and again this is totally out of my lane in terms of the way technology and that is tracked but in theory let's say that plays out you would have a on the geotag you would know that within the house of Isaiah Rodgers use him as an example that a bet was placed well then you would be able to investigate and figure out okay where where was the bet made what sports book what account made said bet whose name is linked to that account. And then I think that would, in theory, solve itself if, for instance, James Boyd was over at Isaiah Rogers' house. Exactly. But then, how do you know I didn't just tell you, hey, Jimmy, go bet for me? Or... Well, sure. You see what I'm saying? Let like, it's, it's weird. What if, let's say, Isaiah Rogers' instance, he has a significant other, she or he tells him that he's betting on, or she is betting on this game, and next thing you know, he goes out there and underperforms, so that bet hits. Like there's there are certain other aspects of this too. And my my thing is even if you didn't bet on your specific team's game, if you have a joint bank account, how do you know who's making the See what I mean? Like these are the weeds that would just drive me nuts. And this is why I would go full EJ speed, never bet, never touch anything. I would honestly put myself under the rules of the non-player employees. Well, I just wouldn't bet on anything that way I'm not in trouble. Like we even talked to Sabrina uh, Perel about this, who's a, one of the NFL reps who's on the call. She was even saying like, you cannot enter a sports book throughout the season. And that basically means you can't go into a place of betting throughout the season. Just for people who don't know what a sports book is. Seriously. I didn't, no, 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 no. I, 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 yeah. I'm not shaking my head at that. No, I, no I'm, I'm like, I didn't know. Sure. Maybe three weeks ago, what a sports book was. Yeah. Seriously. Can't get that at your local library. Folks. Exactly. <laughs> so, but she was even saying you can't enter it. You can't get a drink there. You can't get a meal. Even if you're in Las Vegas where every single place has a sports book, it seems like. You can't do it. And so these are the nuances that, again, I don't think that are as cut and dry as you think. But then when we look at the people who violate some of the rules, at least the ones that are on record, they're violating the most simple rules, <laughs> which is don't bet on the NFL and don't have anybody else bet for you. And that's the part that I think it's lost in all of this. Yeah. Because so often we look at it as how does the league retain it? And it's like, well, it appears most of the league is retaining it. The only issue is that there's missteps of, oh, I can't bet in the team weight room. That's my bad. Oh, I can't bet in the team hotel. I can't place a bet or go inside a sports book. And maybe that part's not getting retained, but at its core... And what will get you the biggest punishment is missing the top rule, which is betting on the NFL. That first, should not first be line. correct. It's the it's the first rule. Again, I, I thought that was understood universally, not to bet on the sport that you play. I mean, Ignorance on my part. I'll take the elder. That's my fault. Oh my goodness. I mean, we could talk about this all day. I feel like I've driven myself crazy with this. And quite honestly, please do not have me hop on any more Zooms about the gambling policy. <laughs> I feel like I was back in college and I was like, this is so boring. I don't want to do this again. So players out there, please follow the rules. I would like to write about you playing instead of all this other jargon. Still to come, we're going to have a conversation with Tony East, Brett Siegel, and Seth Greenberg as we get you closer and closer to the Pacers 
action in the NBA draft tonight, holding that seventh pick. We'll revisit the betting lines when we return, see about the movement and shakeup with that latest report regarding what might happen with Charlotte and the second pick in the NBA draft. Went a little- Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Along with Jim Trotter, the conversation was fantastic, giving us an update on the NFL's gambling policy as they struggle to reel in those observations and regulations around the National Football League. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison here. We have some news on the Pacers front. That's right. Another trade to be digested and evaluated. And we'll discuss it with you with Tony East when we come back on The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Back to Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison behind the ones in twos. Happy draft day to you. Pacers turn tonight with that seven pick, something that they still hold. However, Pacers back in action by the trade market. Los Angeles Lakers have acquired the 40th pick from the Indiana Pacers for pick 47 and cash. Sources tell ESPN per Adrian Wojnarowski. Dang, we, I thought LeBron was in that trade. <laughs> I know. Uh, the, the way I reacted to it in break, I got a hard time for it. You would the, think LeBron was in the trade. The push notification said the Lakers have traded with the Pacers. And I go, Pacers trade, Pacers trade, Pacers trade. And then it's that, which again. It was literally for to move back seven spots for a $5 bill, a $2 bill, rare. And some cash. <laughs> some cash tony east joins us now locked on pacers wthr forbes you know the works sports illustrated si.com tony i know eddie you already stole my joke so it's fine it's what it is it's it's, it's mine and eddie's favorite thing to say to quote brian windhorse what does it all mean tony what does it mean <laughs> are we done are we done with trades how much cash really is it oh what do we know so far let's start with the cash tony James is concerned. We're talking about chess. We're talking about Rocket League. Eddie's making you guys play Justin Bieber. (laughs) Something silly is always going on when I'm hanging out with you guys. (laughs) I forgot about that. A little bit of a minor trade here. Not that you know. It's funny that people are talking about the Lakers Pacers, thinking about pick 17 and moves in the middle of the first round. That this is what we hear about. But yes, pick 40. The Pacers got yesterday uh, in a little swap with the Nuggets is now going to the Lakers, pick 47, that the Lakers have their second rounder coming to the Pacers, and the Pacers also getting cash in this. The Lakers uh, traded some cash to the Magic earlier this season in the trade. They have like 4.4-something million left in cash they can trade this year. Pacers presumably getting some of that, if not all. So we'll see how much it actually is that cash can be used for any number of things, I suppose, that the Pacers decide. It's not really clear what cash considerations always ends up uh going toward, but that's the trade for a Pacers team that doesn't really have the room to make lots of picks. I suppose if you can get cash instead of nothing, you do it, but not not the, the thing that fans are calling everybody and texting all their friends about, certainly. Does this mean that we can finally lay to rest, at least for this draft cycle, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, Lakers rumors? Does that mean we can finally <laughs> take it off the table? Uh, 
I never I will take anything off the table. <laughs> that was the first thing that came in my head when I saw Pacers and Lakers. I was like, how is this the trade that happened after a full year of Pacers Lakers chatter? Right, no Russ, no Buddy, no Miles after all that. But it, yeah, it's uh, there as minor as moves can come. I think the cash should be used for the deal or no deal game. A gamer's feel <laughs> Every fan would want to play if they could win millions of dollars playing Dealer well, Noble. Let, let's, let's, let's spice it up. Key a little Bank bit. doesn't even have to pony up in that yeah, scenario. That's what I'm saying, just, man. They, they got the Pacers, the cash consideration. You want the fans in seats? You do that, and it works. There's my free idea. You could, you could pay for Howie for, for like a couple games, even I'm as well. You, Go man, full I'm giving scale out with it. Awesome ideas right now. I should probably patent these things, but I'm a man of the people, so I'm putting them out there. Um, <laughs> Tony, when we look at. This draft, obviously the biggest question mark for the Pacers is number seven. Do you keep it? Do you move it? You know, if you do keep it, who do you choose? And for the sake of the argument, what do you think it would take for them to say, okay, we 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 should move on from this and we found a guy that can help us win now? Like, would it be number seven plus another asset, Chris Duarte, or number seven plus 22nd, I mean, 26th pick? Like, how do you view that? Yeah, I think that they have a lot of stuff to trade that, like, isn't clear how it's in their long-term future, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they have the two backup bigs and Smith and Jackson. It's not clear which one of them will be their backup big going forward, if either of them are, right? Maybe if they really want to be good next year, it's Daniel Tice. They have three younger forwards that it's not clear if any of them will have solid minutes next year in Jordan Wara, Aaron Neesmith, and Chris Duarte, although Neesmith likely at least has a role next year, right? They have all these later picks this year and an extra first next year that if you're trying to win, it's hard to figure out exactly how those young players will fit into your team. So any of that stuff on top of seven seems like what it would be to me for them to go get something like that or move around or do whatever they want to do because – you know, that has been talked about. Like, I think Chris Haynes and Brian Winter are supported on the same day. They're, like, potentially looking for a starting quality wing. If they can get that using seven and some of their extra stuff that they've acquired along the way via, you know, the Brogdon trade, the Levert trade, the little stuff they've done the last couple days, then perhaps they look at that because, you know, we, we saw last year how good Tyrese Halliburton is and how good this Pacers team can be at their best. Tony, you described the trade the Pacers made moments ago with the Lakers as a, a minor of minor trades. I don't necessarily disagree with you because <laughs> there's not a ton of high value moving there. They move back seven spots and there's an undetermined amount of cash. Bobby Marks had said that on Twitter that the Lakers had about $4.4 million available to them if they wanted yep. to utilize in trade. So obviously it would be somewhere from that stockpile of cash to utilize in moves like this. And you commonly see teams buy into the first or second round when they are as cap strong or as you know in tough quarters in that regard to the roster constraints like the Lakers are when you look at this trade though as minor and you look at yesterday's trade with the Nuggets what was your description of that given that once you clarified that news and other outlets clarified that news we knew a 2024 first was coming but it wasn't going to be the Nuggets which I know concerned a lot of people that it would be their pick that might be coming here yeah, the clarity on that was really important, right? Because the the pick the Pacers got in this trade, which is is going to ultimately, I think, come from OKC in a, in a maybe now four team trade if the Lakers are getting forty. But either way, um, it, it it was described as the worst of the, some picks that the Nuggets had from this trade, which was Houston's, Utah's, uh, Oklahoma City's, and the Clippers' worst first round pick next year. Whichever one of those picks has the highest number. 
would be the one sent to the Pacers. And if the Nuggets is included in that worst of calculation, they just won the championship. Their pick's 27 this year. That pick doesn't project to be very good next year. So why would you trade 29 and 32 for 40 and like 28 or something? That doesn't make much sense. But if you remove the Nuggets pick from that, which is ultimately the case, the Nuggets pick is not involved, then you're talking about the best team of two lottery teams in Houston and uh, Utah and an Oklahoma City team that's in the lottery after the plan and a Clippers team that rests players all the time and lost in the first round and lost in the plan two years ago. Like maybe they could be good and they're likely the best team of that crew. But you know, that this year that pick would be 20, right? That's pretty good draft equity to move up for a, to get from the Nuggets who want to get a first this year. So that one felt minor at first, but when you really think about it, especially because the Pacers can't bring in five rookies this year, getting what could be a better first next year is pretty smart business. So, Tony, in my opinion, I think that the Thompson Twins will not be on the board at seven, either one of them. But if one of them drops, are they good enough to say, okay, we understand fit and what we want to kind of puzzle piece into this team? Or are they good enough to just pick them because I believe both of them are dynamic athletes and could have some of that that star power, you know, if they reach their ceiling? Yeah, I think they're good enough myself. Um, and that's mostly because I really value shot creation as a skill for NBA teams. And I think it's very obvious, like just look at the Pacers, you know, when they had Brogdon and Sabonis running their team, they had to get creative to create good shots all the time. And they were, they had a decent offense with those guys, but as soon as they get a high level creator in Halliburton, their offense just instantly takes off and looks so potent every single night. Like when they had their best creators of the last of the Kevin Pritchard era, really, uh, Oladipo at his best and Halliburton at his best, that's when the Pacers have been at their best, right? So I really value shot creation, and I think both Thompson twins will be able to do that at the pro level. Amin looks like he'll be the better of the two at it, but Asar is still super athletic and a really great cutter and can do stuff with Devon hands, and he's a little bit better of a shooter too, which might honestly make him the better complimentary piece if he is available for the Pacers. They're going to be big question marks tonight in general. Like the OTE guys who went pro last year, Uh, Gene Montero and Don Barlow, neither of them got picked after some projections that they might. And Barlow had a nice season for the Spurs on a two-way deal. Montero didn't even stick in the NBA. So there's some questions about the league and what those players actually being on a roster, what they'll look like and and all sorts of stuff like that. I think they'll be pretty good, but we'll learn a lot about how teams feel about them uh, tonight, certainly, and as their career progresses about that league in general. So I can say this now because I'm not on the beat and (laughs) – I'm glad I don't envy you tonight. Well, last year I felt I, I think it was pretty not obvious, but it was pretty safe to say Benedict Mather was going to be the pick at six. I think that that was a safe assumption. But does it feel different this year, considering all the options and obviously being a spot further back? Uh, yeah, it does feel like a little bit different. And I think the other difference is that there's two just amazing fits this year, right? And in Jarris Walker and Taylor Hendricks, which I think really kind of jumbles it up that if, if, you know, if it gets to them at seven and both of those guys are there, there'll be a lot of shrugging from people who just kind of go, well, these guys both fit great. You'd understand if they pick either one for different reasons. Like, it makes a ton of sense. So it's not as clear or obvious who maybe the favorite would be, if it even is those guys. There's other guys who would make some sense. And you know, there's already questions about maybe Scoot Henderson's going number two. Like, what's that going to do to all the rest of the picks? Where's Kim Whitmore going to go? What are the Pistons going to do? Like, there's a lot more questions above the Pacers this year, I think, than last year, where last year it was just kind of like, which one will go four and five between Keegan Murray and Jaden Ivey, right? I was sitting right next to you, James. You know, there wasn't as much 
order intrigue last year as it feels like there is this year. So I think that those two guys would be the ones that are talked about the most today, but it is definitely a little less clear where kind of the lines of demarcation are than it was last year. Tony East with us here on the Fan Midday Show. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony R. East. Covers the Pacers for Sports Illustrated's Pacers site, as well as Forbes, WTHR, and of course the Locked on Pacers podcast. Tony, the discussion yesterday after that Nuggets trade was the amount of picks the Pacers still had going from five picks to four, and then this trade today still keeps them at four picks, albeit moving down from 40 to 47. Roster space, I believe they have three roster spots, so kind of a two-part question. If I'm correct on that, does that mean necessarily that they are done with moves because they would have three roster spots available for four potential picks? Or the other elephant in the room, and for fans that don't know this, how does the two-way ability impact at all what they can do with four picks versus feeling pigeonholed to just take three? Yeah, they have new two-way contract slot this year, so every team has three of them, actually. So, in theory, had the Pacers made all five of the picks they originally had, they could have put two guys on two-way deals and had their three first-round picks and kept everybody, but that's it. That's their whole summer, right? They no longer have roster spots to sign anybody, or you know, they could have, I guess, made trades with the same number of players out and in, but you know, that's not likely what their goals are, given that they have cap space that they almost have to use, given what the new CBA structure is with the salary floor too so there was just no way they were going to make five picks they made that abundantly clear and I still think there's no way they're going to make four picks um, even with these new two-way slots and now they're down to 47 it's more possible right like I don't know what the there's no cut, real cutoff but there's a line in the second round somewhere of you know that's where you go from maybe a roster spot to a two-way slot and I think 47 is probably behind it but Either way, it, it seems untenable for the Pacers who want to make the postseason next year to use all of these picks to, you know, have rookies on their team. I think they want to be better next year than they were last year with 35 wins. They were talking about 45, and Halliburton has said on the record multiple times he wants to be in the playoffs. He's never been there despite being an all-star level player. So, yeah, they are down to four now from five. They've gotten some assets along the way to do it, but I think that they still would like to pick up some more future stuff and instead try to add some talent for this year because the roster spot crunch makes it difficult with only three available spots. No more than a second apart from one another. The following tweets were made by myself and James Boyd. Here's James. Tony just tweeted this while talking to us about the Pacers on 107.5 The Fan. That's my goat emoji. And mine, he's tweeting and talking. What a machine. Because Tony East <laughs> just shared with his Twitter following, and you follow him on Twitter at Tony R. East, $4.35 million in cash is what's moving from the Lakers to the Pacers in this trade. The fact that it was nearly all of the 4.4 Bobby Marks projected, does that surprise you at all? I think if uh, I mean it's probably some rounding. I don't know. It's probably all of what sure. the Lakers had left. I think they sent the. I think I said this already, but I think they sent the rest of the magic uh, back at the trade deadline mm-hmm. and some the, the Mo Bamba trade. I think I can't remember what the Lakers magic trade was, but uh, yeah, I think it's probably all the rest they had to give up. And you know, cash resets every year. It's either use it or lose it. So. I suppose if this is what the Lakers felt like is the best thing they could do, that's great. And there's a cap on what you can receive, too. So get it while you can, I suppose. But, it, it, you know, those, those, they're just weird trades because it's hard to, for kind of fans to think about it because you can't really see what the cash does. But, hey, getting the most you can from a team, I suppose, is something to to say, hey, they did it or something. But, uh, yeah, from a, from a basketball perspective, it's, a, it's still a very minor move. So, basically, 
Tony is saying his headline is going to be Pacer swindled the Lakers for $4.3 million. I think you can swindle any team when both picks are in the 40s, but sure. Just work with me, work with me. I'm working on my engagement. I'm trying to get you some clicks here, Tony. But um, in all seriousness, does that factor into what they can do in free agency, just having that more, that much more money on hand? I, I suppose it doesn't count as salary cap money, but if it's money that, as a team, you're willing to spend on something, I don't <laughs> from Fax a new machine. player to a new copier, that's great news, I suppose. Uh, yeah, if, if if you weren't willing to spend it before, but now you have it, maybe that's good. I mean, it's hard to again, it's really hard to piece together what teams do and need with cash. So they literally cannot use it on like salary cap. I I don't know how that works, where like the funds are split up. Like maybe like if it just goes into like the pacer slush fund and they can distribute it to anything whether that's players coaches has to be basketball like i haven't actually dug into what cash can or can't be like maybe maybe it's a copier maybe it's noodle i don't know i was thinking it's money ball style where we're just filling the soda (laughs) machine for the next three seasons you know a billy bean style i don't know you know what there's not a lot of interesting ways to talk about I think they should just tell Wimby, hey, we got an extra 4.3 for you waiting waiting in the back end. (laughs) Maybe they'll reimburse you for your t-shirt investment, perhaps, with some of that 4.3. Surely Victor Wimbanyamba will not be making that much money, you know, to start off his (laughs) NBA career. Um, In all seriousness, Tony, the one thing I wanted to ask as well is how much do you think Tyrese Halliburton factors into whatever decision they make? Like, is he someone who's going to be included and thought of whether the pick is traded number seven, picked at number seven, who's picked at number seven? Yeah, I would imagine that he has a lot of say. Like, we've been seeing him at all of these pre – not all, most of these pre-draft workouts sitting among the scout executive front office crew, getting his eyes on everything, which – I think it's smart if you're the Pacers, right? Like, you know, you were around last year, James, when there was talk about how much Halliburton, you know, talked about wanting Natherin and that picture of them in the hotel room from before the draft. Like, having your guy who sets your sets your franchise in motion and is kind of the face of the team and sets the identity involved in these decisions, maybe not the final say guy, but involved in these decisions sure seems smart to me. You know, he knows what the team needs and how any new player can amplify the group. He's only 23, too, so... This player could be his friend as he grows into an adult for a while as well. So I think it's great business to have him involved. I don't know how much influence he will truly have, but it seems smart to me, especially because you know, everybody's described him as a basketball junkie. It's great for the Pacers that he's been in market all summer watching all this stuff and involved. I think that that's great. And, and we've heard from Ryan Carr, their VP of player personnel, that you know, they're, that young prospects are just you know psyched about Halbert. And they talk about him. They know his deal and his game. And, how he's elevated the Pacers. I think that's great for the franchise that they have somebody of that stature who kind of has that allure on other players. Well, I'll tell you what, I would say that about every team that they're sending me. Oh, I love this player. He's fantastic. He's great. You should hire me. You should pick me and pay me a lot of money to play basketball. I'm not doubting so, so that. If you, were, if you were doing a draft workout for the Wizards, you have to go in there and be like, I've always been a big Denny Avdia fan. Oh, it'll be Corey Crisper. <laughs> Crisper, I'm sorry. Does that mean that Brandon Miller's trying to force his way to the Clippers? Is that what's happening right now? Is that what the end goal was there? Tony East joins us here on the Fan Midday Show. Tony, the rumor Mill is Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks to the Pacers at seven. Let's play the game of the Thompsons go before that. They're off the board. When you look at further down the list of players the Pacers worked out that might not be mocked at seven, but a couple spots below that, take for example Cam Whitmore, Grady Dick, Jordan Hawkins. When you look at just names that are there below where the Pacers are at, is there 
It feels like it's so set in stone right now. Jairus Walker, yeah, of course, no doubt. Or Taylor Hendricks, no doubt. When you look past that, though, and perhaps this is just smoke screens or pacers, keeping them close to the chest, who amongst the players past seven might make the most sense in your mind if they don't go with Hendricks or Walker? Yeah, Cam Whitmore's got a lot of upside. You know, it's very rare that a prospect, especially one of his age, has a combination of athleticism and power and all yeah, it's just unbelievable when you watch him and he's got a lot of work to do on his shot and his defense and his general awareness but I think he's a really fascinating prospect and no one really knows where he's going to go he's sort of an interesting talent in this one but you know I think he's a little duplicative skill set wise with Benedict Mather and I think a lot of people feel that way but at the same time his upside might be so high that any team might just go you know what let's do it let's try it so he's one of course keep an eye on you said Grady Dick I mean I don't think he's quite good enough to go at seven but if if anybody picks him, it'll make a ton of sense. He's the best shooter in the draft and can make plays with the ball when he's run off the line. That's a great player to have for any team on the offensive end of the court. And I love Anthony Black. doesn't make a lot of sense for the Pacers. We'll see where the movement is for him if anybody actually wants to end up with him. And I think that's kind of the top 10, 11 players. After that, there's a little line before the Hawkinses, the Keontae Georges the you know of the world. But uh, there are a couple names that could sneak in there, but the fact that none of them are great fits or so appealing, I mean, Whitmore is, I guess, I suppose, but also kind of reinforces the whole Hendricks-Walker debate. So my other question would be to, have you been able to track down any of Victor Women Yamba's siblings, just in case, you know, we want to just get in early now? <laughs> because, <laughs> but no, I'm joking about that, but I do think that you made a good point about um, Taylor Hendricks and, and, and also, you know, looking at other players that could be considered beyond Taylor Hendricks and Jairus Walker. But focus on those two in particular. Which one do you lean more toward if you had to make the pick? I would pick Jairus Walker myself. Again, like I said earlier, I don't think either of them are bad picks. Like, it'd be very, very easy to understand why either of them would be the pick. And they're both wonderful defensive players. I kind of grade their defense out as pretty even as they enter the, the pros. I think Hendricks can maybe hold up a little bit better away from the basket, but Walker might be a little better, you know, with his power around the rim in the pros. We'll see. But either way, the reason I would lean Walker is, you know, especially if you look at his high school tape, I think he's got a little more offensive upside as a creator type, whether that's catching it in the short roll and making a pass or just eventually being a guy who can do more with the ball in his hands, maybe not be a creator, but just be a great connector. Hendricks is the much better shooter right now, at least. We'll see where that ends up going in the pro level, but the fact that there's a little more upside on Walker's game in the offensive end is what separates it for me, even though, again, like a 3-and-D floor prospect is just fantastic in the NBA these days, and Hendricks look like he's going to be that. So, again, I've been making a lot of jokes about Victor Womanyama, but in all seriousness, <laughs> how cool hey, is it? Did you see him holding the baseball? My goodness. Oh, yes, that was unbelievable. You mean the marble? <laughs> Sorry, I just want to make sure. I'm sure we're looking at the same picture. <laughs> but you look at how the game has been – more globalized in recent years, especially in our generation, how much do you think the NBA benefits from having another guy come from overseas and be, I would imagine, one of the faces of the league from the start? You already have Jokic, who I believe is the best player in the world right now. You have Embiid, you have Giannis, and then now you have another player entering the fold who can be um, a household name. Yeah, quite the global game right now, which I think is, is just awesome for the NBA, the way that this is trending. And, like, there's been a lot of – I heard this chatter around the MVP debates, too. Is like, who's going to be the next American MVP? Because Embiid, Jokic, keep winning. Giannis is in the mix. And now Wembenyama's here to potentially be in the mix. Luka. Yeah. Like, 
maybe, yeah, Luca, exactly. Like the overseas guys are just <laughs> near the top or dominating the league right now. I suppose Tatum is probably the, the best guess if you had to say, but it doesn't really matter because these overseas guys are just better right now. And, you know, it's great for the game that it's expanding globally, and, and no two of them are from the exact same country. Now you're adding France and you got Greece, Serbia, Slovenia, Nigeria for all these overseas guys. Like, it's great for the game's expansion globally, and I think that you know, there's a lot of talk in the finals about ratings for some reason, but, like, who, who cares? All these people in Europe and overseas are watching these games too. The NBA is in a great spot, and another dominant foreign prospect, I think, will continue to, to push that forward. Tony, last thing on my end, with the seventh pick – do the Pacers, A, wind up making that selection? And if you feel that there's a chance they don't, is the only path to bringing in a wing via trade in your mind with the seventh pick being moved? Via trade, yeah, probably at least the caliber of wing that I think fans have thought about a lot this summer. Like, it's possible they could sign somebody. They've got significant space for... I'm just, I, I don't know that they're connected to these guys just looking at the best wings, but like your, you know, your Kuzma's, your Harrison Barnes, whatever, like they could sign one of those guys, but via trade specifically, yeah, seven's their best chance to get a guy that people would go, oh, wow, the Pacers got this guy. They're going to be a serious threat this year. He's Tony East. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony R East. Enjoy the draft, my friend. Thank you as always for making time for us and uh, keep us on those nuggets with cash considerations and specifics <laughs> on trade picks because it's always good to have that clarity. Let me know if you All want right, me to come, come crash the party. I still know where it is. So <laughs> James uh, has t-shirts to give away. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Tony R East. Uh, it's like the Batcave. I know how to get in. I know the code. You know, and everything like that. No, I'm joking. I would never do that. I honestly feel like I would be sitting there writing a story about the Colts <laughs> and just like as a fan watching everyone else scramble around when the trades go off. But he made a lot of great points about their options with the team. So we'll see how Kevin Pritchard uses his favorite word tonight, optionality. Can't wait for some optionality. It's going to be very <laughs> exciting. We've already seen some optionality in terms of making moves, making trades. We'll look at the national perspective of what the Pacers have done to this point. Brett Siegel. Going to stop by. We'll have a conversation again nationally on where the Pacers potentially go post-trade with the Lakers. And if they're done making moves, he covers the NBA for clutch points. Brett Siegel, next with us on the Fan Midday Show. Still here. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Here in the drivehubler.com studio, hanging out with Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cook here on draft day. Exciting time for the Pacers. And we have my guy, Brett Siegel, covers the NBA at large for Clutch Points. Brett, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing good. I'm probably doing a little better than you because I know you have to keep up with all these trades and moves and things like that. But I'll start with the big picture move from last night. And Marcus Smart is no longer a Boston Celtic. What did you think of that decision and how it, I guess, plays out for not only Boston, but Memphis? Obviously, Boston ended up with Chris Porzingis. Right. This was a move that shocked many around the league. A lot of people saw Christoph Porzingis being the target of the Celtics leading up to this year's draft. They were looking to get a deal done with the Wizards, and there was that three-team deal in place early yesterday afternoon where Christoph Porzingis was going to be going to the Celtics, Malcolm Brogdon was going to be going to the Clippers, 
and the Wizards were going to be receiving some salary dump and a draft pick or two. That ultimately fell through because of Malcolm Brogdon's injury status and the concerns with his long-term injury status with his elbow. So the Celtics quickly pivoted. They were able to get a deal done before the midnight deadline on Porzingis' player option contract. They got a deal done. It was a three-team trade involving the Memphis Grizzlies' Marcus Smart, the surprising name that winds up going to the Grizzlies, Tyus Jones going to the Wizards. From the Celtics' standpoint, they got everything that they wanted. They get the big man and that that secondary star, really, that they can put next to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown with Porzingis in the front court fills a lot of needs that Al Horford and Robert Williams were not able to do through the years. And then when you look at what the Wizards were able to accomplish, Tyus Jones, a great point guard that can immediately become their starting point guard depending on what they do with guys like Monte Morris and Chris Paul. From the Memphis' standpoint, they gave up a really good point guard who has consistently been winning games for them when John Morant was not available, and they gave up two first-round picks to get Marcus Smart, a guy who is very high on their wish list. They had been targeting him through the year, so they get their guy, but it comes at a very big price. This was a very surprising trade for many around the league. We were looking at the numbers yesterday for what Boston could move to match salaries with what Chris Stapp's going to be making this year. And Marcus Smart was obviously the name we threw out there, but I didn't think that that might be the direction they went to. From what you've seen and covered on this particular story, Brett, it seems like Marcus Smart was blindsided by all accounts. He did not expect to get moved. I mean, I know that's life in professional sports, but how difficult was this decision knowing that with Brogdon being off the table with the injury concerns, that Smart or somebody of the like from salary's perspective was going to be the player that had to be gone? Yeah, it was certainly a big decision for the Celtics to make and one that they didn't want to make. That's why they originally were looking to move Malcolm right. Brogdon, the 2023 six-man of the year. And he, he was a great piece for them this past season. Brogdon had a huge role with the Celtics. It was a big reason why they were able to reach the Eastern Conference Finals again. But the concerns with that injury and teams not showing a willingness to want to accept him because of his injury concerns, that forced the Celtics hand, basically, and operating on a tight window of having to get a deal done with Porzingis' player option deadline coming up and then him not wanting to extend that deadline with the Wizards, it, it kind of forced Boston's hand at this point. It was either give up Marcus Smart and gather these first-round picks and get your guy in Porzingis, or you don't get any deal at all, and you're going to have to figure out all these massive cap decisions with Grant Williams being a restricted free agent, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum having those extensions coming up. And with the new CBA guidelines and the new financial restraints coming in for a tax-paying team like the Celtics, this was a move that they had to make a decision on right away, and ultimately they did by sending Smart to the Grizzlies. Brett, to pivot away from that and look at the draft itself, obviously we know Victor Womanyamba is going to go number one, but there is some chatter at number two. Not to give away your mock draft, but who do you lean more toward personally, Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, and if so, why? So I'll answer this in multiple parts because there's a lot to talk about here with the Charlotte Hornets at number two. Personally, I favor Brandon Miller. I think that he's a better long-term fit next to LaMelo Ball. I think that with Scoot Henderson next to Ball, there's just going to be a clash of egos and a clash of flashiness there. Could it still work? Absolutely. Scoot Henderson has proven that he can play off the ball and he's going to be a much better three-point shooter than people are anticipating him being. But they have that guard position figured out where the Charlotte Hornets really need talent is out on the wing. Brandon Miller, a multidimensional scorer who can also impact the game defensively. I think that that just makes sense from a fit and talent perspective. But there has been a lot of chatter in recent days that Scoot Henderson could be their pick tonight. And that's been reported this morning throughout the afternoon. 
there's obviously been a lot of chatter about Brandon Miller being the favorite. And I've even reported on that, that sources have told me that Brandon Miller has been the favorite favorite for the Charlotte Hornets. But the catch here is that this is coming from rival teams. Nobody at all in the reporting landscape has had any insight into what the Hornets, Michael Jordan, Mitch Kupchak, that front office, nobody knows exactly what they're thinking. They kept this very internal similar to what we saw with the Orlando Magic last year, where a lot of people thought that they were leaning towards Jabari Smith Jr. A lot of rival teams thought the same. And then ultimately, Pio Bancaro was their guy from the very start. So we could be seeing a very similar situation develop here between Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller. Ultimately, at this point, it wouldn't be shocking if Henderson does go number two based on what has come out. But this is a decision that the Hornets are still mulling to this point, and they may not have a decision until right before they're on the clock. Going to throw it to Jimmy here real quick, but I do want to just point out that maybe Brandon Miller saying that Paul George is his GOAT <laughs> and MJ is just a regular guy may not have helped his draft stock. I don't know. We'll see. But, um, Jimmy, your thoughts on the rest of the draft? I mean, if that's the reason that happened, then there's a good reason if you're a Charlotte fan to be happy that MJ's out of majority <laughs> ownership if we're that petty that we can't evaluate talent based on that. But all you jo- took that personally. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Hold on. I'm right, right, back, right back in the last dance. Seventh pick for the Pacers, your evaluation of what's there, Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks, perhaps a Thompson twin falls to them. Let's say for the sake of discussion, they keep the seventh pick. Where do you see from the different optionality the Pacers would have at seven to quote Kevin Pritchard? <laughs> at this point, I would be extremely shocked if both Thompson twins fall out of the top five. I've heard that Amen Thompson is the Houston Rockets guy if he's there at number four. And following him up at number five, the Detroit Pistons, I just don't see any scenario where they would pass up on Asar Thompson. He's the best player in this draft at this position, at the fifth position, that is. And I, I, the Pistons need a guy on the wing. Asar Thompson, in my mind, is their guy. So we look at who could be available for the Indiana Pacers. Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks are the two guys that I'm really looking at. This team needs a forward. They've been very vocal about wanting to find a sturdy power forward alongside Miles Turner in this front court. And right now, I've mocked Jairus Walker to them. From what I've heard, he's been the guy with the most voices in their front office, the, the guy that they've been paying the most attention to, a bruiser-like forward that can really get after it defensively. He shows a lot of promise as being able to play both on the wing and in the low post as a 6'8 power forward big body to move and when you look at Taylor Hendricks I also like that fit for the Pacers as well he's a shot blocker great defensive player that can stretch his game out on the perimeter I really don't think the Pacers can go wrong with either guy there and even looking at a guy like Cam Whitmore if he's on the board I think that he's going to get some consideration for the Indiana Pacers as well but at this point I think that Jairus Walker is the safe prediction for them. So, Brett, before we let you go, my last one is, what does the rest of your day look like? You know, as a national guy covering the NBA draft, I imagine your screen time goes through the roof this time of year. What do you do between now and the draft and and how important it is to just make sure you stay on top of things? Well, there's a few things. The first is making sure I don't have too many tabs open to the point where my computer completely fries and crashes because that would not be a good thing at all. The second thing is making sure that my phone charger is right next to me at all times. And then the other thing is making sure I have the laptop charger ready and accessible. So it's a great time. I love the draft. It's a great time for these prospects to hear their name called. Great time for college fan bases and NBA fans alike to really embrace this new era of basketball coming into the league. And then obviously after midnight or 1 o'clock, whenever the draft decides to end, you have the whole frenzy of who's signing where with the undrafted guys and obviously guys signing summer league contracts and training camp contracts. So it's just one thing after another. And the best part about this time of the year 
is that Las Vegas Summer League is right around the corner. So I, I can't wait to get out there for that. Oh, Brett, will you be there tonight? I will not be in attendance for the draft tonight, no. It, too hectic of a, sure. of a schedule. And, of course, it, it's going to be a rainy day up here in, in the bright and sunny northeast, as always. So much rather <laughs> stay inside for this one. Can't blame you, Brett. Thank you very much for making time for us. We look forward to following along, and I'm sure we'll have reactions from you as we get closer to the opening of free agency here just around the corner. Absolutely. You guys take it easy. It's Brett Siegel. You can follow him on Twitter at Brett Siegel, NBA, National NBA Insider and Reporter. You can find his work at Clutch Points in the Clutch Points app. At least at this point, unless the Pacers are playing a great hand of poker right now, it appears that everything we're seeing from the reports – and from mocks and from best fits, that Jairus Walker and Taylor Hendricks are the most likely selections for them at seven. That's taking off the board, of course, the idea they have a last-minute trade that would go for a veteran where you would likely see the seventh pick moved. And I, I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm okay with that. Like I see fit with both players. My confusion or frustration would change a little bit if one of the Thompson twins was to fall and they weren't to go that route, if they instead stick with Walker or Hendricks, because I feel like either one of the Thompson twins could be just a fun piece in general for an offense that is not only looking to be able to be... They, they know how to score points. That wasn't an issue last year. The issue is defense, but yeah. regardless if it's a wing or if it's a two-guard or whatever prospect you're going with, you need defensive principles in place or at least a foundation there to make things a little bit easier on Rick Carlisle and his staff. And also, if the Pacers are legitimate about reaching the heights of four to six playoff range, not play-in, but an actual high-level seating there. You need the player to be an impact defensively. All these guys they're linked to can do that, at least from their college tape, but or their, you know, other venues tape of, uh, of overtime <laughs> lead. Obviously, that's not tied directly yeah. to the college ranks. But, yeah, that's the only way I'm going to be banging a table with frustration is if they reach on somebody that isn't a good fit, which, again, I don't think they would do, or the Thompson twin amen or or amen or azar is there and they pass on either one of them but other than that i like the fit what about you i agree i I think that that is my approach to it and again you just wonder how much do they bet on tonight rather than kind of waiting around and hoping that you can lance one in free agent so i think they should be aggressive and at least exploring the trade market if you really want to go out and get someone who's a proven veteran and someone who can really come in and just plug and play but also really weigh what it means to have someone who can fit that timeline again of being a young player who can help you grow into the team you want to become. So we'll see how that all shakes out. And again, Tyrese Halliburton is obviously a very good piece to have in place because I think whoever you end up picking at number seven or if you do trade it and get someone else, you're not too worried about how they're going to fit because the connector is one of the most dynamic point guards in all of basketball and someone who truly is a past first point guard which we were seeing become more of a rarity these days we don't see too many traditional point guards anymore we have Tyrese Halliburton we have Chris Paul obviously who's been one of the best ever and then you look at some of the other top guards in the league they're scoring type of guards you know Steph Curry Damian Lillard SGA they can be playmakers but they're not pass first players I think Tyrese definitely alleviates some of the pressure when it comes to okay maybe this guy doesn't fit exactly well he's the type of player who can kind of make it fit the other interesting point from him didn't involve the Pacers but it involves what's going on with the Hornets right now if you're in the betting markets the 
ship has sailed at this point for Scoot Henderson at two because of the news from Shams earlier today that that is where Charlotte is seriously considering now utilizing the pick for Scoot Henderson. But if you think that's all just agents talk and late movement, or you think it's really indecisiveness on the part of the Hornets and really they've yet to actually lock in that decision, you could still find Brandon Miller for plus 210. That's not as high as he's been. But if you're looking for a wager within the second pick right now, that's the, that's the for lack of a better phrase, that's a gamble that you're playing at this point in time with the draft, with draft picks is trying to get on the right side of a news break, meaning that if it is just agents chatter, you're able to get in there and, and throw cash that way. For instance, those that bet Anthony Richardson to be the Pacers pick, there was late movement, aggressively so, that it was going to be Will Levis. The odds shifted drastically towards him. We're talking like an hour before the draft. And so if you're one of those Pacers fans, that, whether out of, or Colts fans at that time, <laughs> out of spite or out of just belief that that's what they were going to do, you had an opportunity to profit there. Same could be true with any draft pick as you're following these news cycles if you're someone that bets the draft that, of course, is not an NFL player on a uh, team practice facility. Yeah, we got Eddie Kraken over official. <laughs> well, he did, it. he did it twice. That's why I was laughing. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But, I mean, we'll have to see. And, again, I think Tony alluded to it. There's just a lot more smoke this year than I, than I feel like last year. Last year was pretty straightforward in my opinion. There were still rumblings of if they would actually do it, but the belief was yes, you pointed it out. I, I wanted them to take Benedict Matherin. A lot of people wanted them to take Benedict Matherin. It made a lot of sense from a fit standpoint, and they ultimately ended up landing the plane and making yeah. that selection. This year there's not as much frustration about each prospect in terms of, oh man, why would you take that guy with who's being reported to be on their radar? But there isn't a clear-cut, definitive answer outside of Jairus Walker's leading most mock drafts right now. And again, I think he would be a good fit on this team. Yeah, and I think compared to last year, there was still a lot of smoke around Miles Turner. Yeah. And so that was the big story going into last year. And also Malcolm Brogdon, it was like, where is he going to go? Because if everyone remembers correctly, Malcolm Brogdon didn't get officially traded until after the draft. And we were all in summer league. So again, that was more of the thinking last year as opposed to the pick itself. This year, it feels like your roster, your core of it is more secure. You have Tyrese, you have Miles, you have Buddy, you have Benedict Mather. I don't think any of those four are going anywhere tonight. God forbid, you know, uh, uh, Miles Turner gets traded tonight. That would just be like Pacers, Twitter, and shambles. And again, that's not going to happen. So you feel more secure in them picking someone at number seven potentially, but who that could be could vary depending on what happens, you know, at two, three, four, and five, and then obviously six. So um, we'll see. I'm excited about it just because, again, I think the Pacers are in a good spot regardless, which is what you couldn't say last year, right? You just didn't know, even though they were confident in their pick in Benedict Matherin, okay, is he going to be a guy? And he looked like a guy. Like he looked – he was first-team all-rookie. He looks like someone who's going to be a really good starter to potentially being – an all-star caliber player in the NBA. Now, do I expect him to be a perennial all-star? I don't know about that, but he's got something to him that where you can feel, okay, this is promising. Obviously, Tyrese, I think, can make the jump from all-star to all-NBA next year. And then now you just wonder, again, can we keep adding to this and get back into that play-in playoff race, which is ultimately what they want to do. I get it. I'm sure some fans will want to see like, okay, nah, we're not that good yet. Why we make push for the playoffs? It's because it's the Pacers' way, quite frankly. And I think that that's what they want to do, especially with this play-in tournament kind of looming over them. 
I could see them making a push for the playoffs depending on who they draft tonight or if they trade it and pick someone else up, you know, in free agency and also in the trade. It's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison along for the ride as well, guiding us through the afternoon. Great conversations to this point. Jim Trotter, Tony East, Brett Siegel. A little bit later this afternoon, those conversations will be up on 1075thefan.com or just search the Fan Midday Show wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, you can follow James on Twitter at RomeovilleKid. Follow me on Twitter at TheJCook. And you can follow Eddie on Twitter at EddieGarrison underscore. Of course, you should be following at 1075 fan if you're not already. Still to come on the Fan Midday Show, we're going to get... The full plunge with Seth Greenberg as we get insights and observations from one of the best, the host of College Game Day, one of the many hosts on College Game Day's panel, as well as an NBA draft analyst tonight for ESPN Radio. Seth will give us the lowdown at the top of the hour, but when we come back, some local names talking about Trace Jackson Davis, Jalen hood Shafino, a lot of trade activity. Where could be their home by the time the draft concludes tonight? We'll discuss that when we come back. Plus, more Pacers evaluation on the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Bull. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Fan Midday Show. Eddie Garrison with us here in the DriveHubler.com studios. Closer and closer. To the start of the NBA draft, Pacers, as of right now, still holding that seventh pick, still holding four picks in total for tonight's proceedings. Of course, most recently, a trade with the Los Angeles Lakers that saw the Lakers acquiring the Pacers' 40th pick. Pacers get pick 47 and cash considerations that turned out to be in the amount of roughly $4.35 million dollars. Still remains to be seen if there'll be any moves left for the Pacers. We'll continue to discuss that of who's best available for them and go big picture within this draft of where the best prospects lie from one of our favorites, the coach Seth Greenberg, going to join us next segment. We look more with the local range, but outside of the Pacers market in terms of two prospects we've been tracking since they announced they were going to be a part of this NBA draft. Ian Jalen hood Shafino and Trace Jackson-Davis. Huchifino has been linked anywhere from 14 to 16 in most drafts, a little bit higher, a little bit lower, depending on where you go. I've seen him to Utah. I've seen him to Atlanta. And then the more interesting piece is following the trade by the Pacers with the Nuggets yesterday. That saw the Nuggets get picked 29 from them. This wasn't being evaluated anywhere because everybody was catching up with the trade, James. But we discussed it yesterday with Scott Agnes. Perhaps the Denver Nuggets could be the home for Trace Jackson Davis, which I don't think would be a bad fit for, for where he wants to grow and develop in terms of what be asked of of him with that team. As you look at potential homes for those two Indiana Hoosiers, I know this. I know it, it hurts you a little bit to have to go positive with with, with those Hoosiers, uh, but uh, what, do you, what do you see with where their f- futures could lie tonight? I mean, I hear you on Trace. I think that he could help a team pretty much right away if you're asking him to do the things he's good at. I don't know about the fit in Denver because Denver – Everyone they play can shoot. And I'm not saying that is a slight to him. It's just a reality. Sure. That's why they won the championship is because even if you put Aaron Gordon out there, Christian Brown, Bruce Brown, like all of these players, they might not be the greatest shooters, but they could shoot. So that's my biggest thing with them. And I'm interested to see if Trace I'm uh, not Trace, um Jalen Hutchfino actually goes in the lottery. Like I think there's a possibility that he could be in that range and 
could he fit a team in that range as well where you wonder, okay, is Toronto a decent fit for him, you know, being a lead guard? And what does that mean if they move on from a guy like Fred Van Vliet? Does he fit in Utah, Miami? Like, I mean, these are players, you know, not players, I'm sorry, teams that are further down in the draft. And when it comes to that mid, you know, to late first round, but I think that he could be a player who, given the keys to sort of be a lead guard, could thrive in that. Now, there's going to be some growing pains because if anyone listening, this is not being not me being a troller. This is all being objective. His highs were high, Jimmy, and then his lows were like, okay, wow, he's still a freshman. So you wonder how much of that is going to be factored into his development, teams that are, can be patient with that. And so, you know, we'll see how it goes. But I do think that each of them will get their names called tonight, obviously. And Trace, if he goes in the first round, you know, late first round, that would be something to say or sell for the IU men's basketball program to say you have two guys that win the first round come here because we'll get you to the league. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a big selling point in that regard for the Hoosiers. You know, I I look back, it was a totally different league, totally different circumstances, but the last time you had that kind of consistency in the first round, at least off the top of my head, would have been the Oladipo-Zeller drafts when they were top five prospects at that point back in 2013. And for Mike Woodson to have that, I mean, yeah, that's great. Anytime you're able to have first-round talent go it and make it there. The shooting concerns with Trace Jackson Davis, whichever side of the coin you want to believe, whether it's, well, why would I shoot triples at the college level when nobody can stop me as a big with what I do best? I get all that. Oh, Illinois knows this sure. very well. <laughs> uh, way to bring it up, Jimmy. Hey, I can't, couldn't help myself. <laughs> yeah, and, what, 35, right? 35, was that, oh, was that the goodness. number? See, I didn't go that route. I was just being casual and keep driving them. the car. Don't, don't 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 send me back down this rabbit hole, please. Well, right. see, I didn't uh, I didn't harass you on Saturday night when you drove me on Sports and I didn't harass you um, on Monday, so, so I, I got to get it all in now. Yeah, I was due. Eddie yeah. can only contain himself for so long. That's what, <laughs> that's what we're learning there. Huchifino in Atlanta. I mean, that would be interesting. They, they've always been tied to potentially moving on from Dejounte Murray at one point in time and being a valuable piece within trades. Again, that's maybe not something you do right away. Yeah, but. Any system that is guard-oriented where he's not expected to be the lead dog right out of the gate, I don't hate for him necessarily. I'm not going to be mad if he goes straight to Toronto and has a a starting opportunity out of the gate either. But when you look at areas where there's less pressure on rookies, I do look at teams like Atlanta and maybe the first time they've ever been in the same (laughs) sentence with Denver in a while, like the Denver Nuggets, where at least from those two positions, there's already established leaders on those rosters the expectation out of the gate isn't we need 29 from you right away. Yeah, I just think that with Atlanta, if Jalen were to go there, Trey Young's like the sun. You know what I mean? It's hard yeah. to get reps, get minutes, get opportunities if that guy is the lead guy. And then obviously you have DeJounte Murray over there as well. So we'll see how it goes. But I do expect him to hear his name called fairly early in the night. I don't think he's going to be waiting around. And for what I understand, I believe he got a green room invite. Mm-hmm. Um, so he'll be there in person. And so I don't expect him to be waiting back there by his lonesome at all, really. I think he's going to get his name called fairly early. He'll uh, join the NBA and have a chance to do something special because he is um, a pretty good talent. And I think his size and versatility helps a lot. I mean, he's not going to fake his height like I mean being 6'5 yeah helps a lot when you're joining the NBA I mean Tyrese Halliburton is 6'5 and so height matters and when you can 
create your own shot at that size and we see a shooting stroke and things like that. Now, it all comes down for him, in my opinion, is the consistency. And I actually think that he's a better passer, too, than he gets credit for. Like, Jalen Huchifino has pretty good vision to, in my opinion, project as a point guard or a lead guard in the NBA. It's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Still to come, we'll have a full-scale look at prospects, not just within the Pacers' range, but also from top to bottom on the draft board with a man that knows everything hoops and will also be on the radio coverage for ESPN throughout the night for the NBA draft. The coach, Seth Greenberg of ESPN's College Game Day, as well as draft analyst for ESPN. You see him on SportsCenter. You see him on Game Day. He'll give us the rundown when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Less than six hours. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Away from the start of the NBA draft. Indiana Pacers still holding that seventh pick with James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison along for the ride as well. It would not be a draft day without a conversation with our next guest. One of the very best in the business. A part of ESPN's college game day and one of our favorites. It's the coach, Seth Greenberg, live from New York City. Seth, how we doing? Jimmy, what's up, my brother? Life, coach. Talking to you on draft day. Nothing better than that. Oh, yeah, that's big. That's big. I understand that. A highlight of some people's lives. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're we're taking pictures, documenting the moment. It, it's gonna be gonna be hung up in the house, coach. It's gonna be gonna, gonna be a great thing for certain. How, how are you doing? How's how's New York? New York's good. New York's good. Got in here last night. Had a great dinner. Peter Lugas and uh, we did a little first take this morning, and now uh, just kind of locking in uh, for tonight. I want to start at the top of the board, Coach, and I want to get your perspective on him. I know you've you've stressed it multiple times throughout you know your hits on SportsCenter and the different interviews that you've done. But when you look at the lock of the draft in terms of what's going to happen at one with Victor Wembanyama being taken by the Spurs, as you've evaluated him over the year and as you've seen his tape, where do you envision the line between the hype and where he's going to have to prove it in this league? Well, he's going to have to prove it no matter what. Right. I mean, you can talk about hype. Once you get a leak, you got to prove it. I mean, you know, you're going to live up to the hype, or the hype is going to be a little unrealistic early on, I think, just because the hype is so, you know, incredibly high. I mean, good amount LeBron didn't go to the playoffs early on. You know, all, you know, I don't think Durant went to the playoffs early on. I mean, even the best players, that he's not making them a, you know, them a, a playoff team, the Spurs. But his potential is ridiculous. Now, you know, I listened to an interview, and I love his interviews. He's so articulate, so bright, so poised. But like him saying, well, I'm not going to put on weight. I'm just going to, you know, you know, people are going to have to realize that skinny is in or whatever he said. Yeah. <laughs> you know, skinny like, up. Yeah, I mean, that's going to – I think that's a little unrealistic. But I'm so impressed with his skill set. I think he's going to impact the game defensively. Uh, whether it's on the ball, off the ball, off the ball, it's a shot blocker is ridiculous. Uh, his ability to contest shots away from his man, his ability to play in ball screens, keep it in front, and still challenge shots. Uh, you know, he's going to play four, not five. But he doesn't have David Robinson protected him. I mean, you know, Brad Windhorst today said he thought that there's a good chance that uh, that they will trade for another big uh, to protect him some in San Antonio. You know, the Collins kid is not that guy. He's not David Robinson, for sure, but a bigger body, more physical center 
might be a, a, an option. But uh, you know, really, really just impressive. I mean, just the way he carries himself. Having said that, everything's a process. That's just the way it is. I mean, we 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 all want to make it. You know, stuff happen right away. It doesn't happen that way. Coach James Boyd here. First off, uh, pretty cool to talk to you. I've been watching you for years, reading your stuff for years, things of that nature. And then when it comes to Victor, do you expect to even see him in summer league at all? Just considering he just got done playing and the, the, I feel like in recent years, and maybe it's more of my generation type of thing where you don't see a lot of the top guys play a lot in summer league anyway. So is, is, would it shock you at all if you just don't see him until the regular season starts? I think he'll play one or two games. I mean, I, I, I thought something came out the other day that he was going to play. I'm not sure he was going to play in Vegas, but I thought he was going to play in Sacramento. But, mm. you know, look, you know, San Antonio's been known that, you know, they're the uh, architect of, of load manager. I think of <laughs> Ka- Kawhi Leonard way back in the day. Um, I think he's got to get some. Uh, and again, everyone overreacts to Summer League because Summer League, you're playing against a bunch of guys that are probably not going to be in the league except yeah. for two guys on, on a roster. But maybe get a little bit of a feel, uh, getting put in uh, some semblance of system, some semblance of defensive system. Uh, but I, you know, look, Greg Popovich is going to evaluate that once he gets him in the gym. He will sure practice for summer league. Uh, whether you know how much he'll play or if he plays, uh, you know that'll be the the big question. And then when you look at this draft class as a whole, especially that top five. I don't know if we've ever seen it be that diverse where they're coming from different areas of the world and different leagues and things like that. But for college basketball purposes, the top guy, at least in the, all the mock drives, has been Brandon Miller. And what do you think of his game and how it could translate? I know he's been saying that his goat is Paul George. You see a lot of similarities there. But what do you think of him? Yeah, I think that Paul George, Kevin Durant are comparisons. Um, you know, I've been on Durant uh at the beginning because of his ability. Remember, Durant at Texas, not Durant in the NBA, <laughs> you know, towards the end of his career or, you know, mid to end of his career. But, you know, you know, he's six nine, seven one wingspan, shoots the ball, was a high school point guard, very good vision, competitive defensively, got to get stronger, got to get to maybe compete a little bit harder offensively off the ball. But I, I absolutely love his game. I absolutely love his game. I love his feel. Um, I did the South Carolina game after that horrific tragedy. And, uh, you know, uh, I was impressed with how he handled himself and how he played. So, uh, you know, the the research I've done has been, you know, that that uh, he's, you know, a kid that comes to practice every day, works his tail off, and is a good teammate. So uh, I think he's going to be a really good NBA player. Seth Greenberg with us on the Fan Midday Show. You can follow him on Twitter at Seth on Hoops. Covers the NBA at large as a college basketball analyst. You can hear him, of course, tonight covering the draft for ESPN Radio. And coach, for the observations that you've seen from another player that's potentially linked to the Pacers, but again, I know these mocks, we take them with a grain of salt. We trash them by the time the draft starts. But <laughs> Cam Whitmore's fall has been fascinating to me. Again, it doesn't necessarily mean anything from a team's perspective, but he was a player that I enjoyed at Villanova that I think if he's there would be an interesting piece here in Indiana. What has the tape shown and just the body of work from that freshman season of Cam Whitmore? Well, he didn't have a big body of work. That's the biggest problem. You know, he was injured, missed the preseason, uh, had huge USA basketball success, uh, physical body, going to be an elite defender, uh, you know, uh, uh, an active physical rebounder on the offensive end. 
can shoot it, not a great shooter, downhill driver. Uh, you know, can you compliment Benedict Matherin for you guys? You know, I don't know, but I wouldn't look put much into the drive. You know, who knows? Right. There's so much misinformation going on right now that it's, you know, you never know exactly where it's at. I mean, you know, the Thompson twins are in that conversation as well. And, you know, they're the biggest diff in the, ter- in, in the draft. And I think they're really talented. I think they're great kids. But overtime elite is an exhibition team. Yeah, that's what they are. Right. I mean, that's, those are exhibitions. Those aren't college basketball games. That isn't G League Ignite. Those are exhibitions. I mean, go watch them and, 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 and tell me they're not. How much so, from... You know, go ahead. You know, they, they, and they don't shoot it great. What are the ramifications with the Thompson Twins kind of being the, the first or second set of this overtime elite experiment? Obviously, it's not something that's going to be answered year one, but the ramifications for pathways for players to get to the draft if there's not success for the Thompson Twins over the course of five or six years. Yeah, I think over to my league's going to be taken over by the NBA is my gut feeling. I mean, that's, you know, I think that's part of the master plan of the NBA is to create this alternative so guys don't go out of the country and have more control over it. I mean, there's, there's going to be some great stories from overtime elite. I think Thompson Twins will be a good story. But there's also a lot of kids that decided to do that and passed up on going to college and uh, have nowhere to go back to. So, uh, but I, I think the long, long play for the overtime uh, program is that the NBA takes it over. I really believe that. That way, they can control the narrative. Right, coach. Another name we've seen sort of being a pretty good fit, at least in theory, on paper, is Taylor Hendricks out of UCF. I don't know if he would have been a name. Yeah, I was just going to ask about it. I don't know if I, he would have been a name that popped up in the top 10 projections going into the season, you know, last season. What did you think about just the rise that he has and, and maybe why he's had that rise with some of the versatility he can bring to the NBA floor? Size, athleticism, and shot making. You got to have shot. I mean, like to me, you got you to have shot making. I think that's, that's the, the differentiator in all, to me, these these. The, draft analysis. Uh, I'm going to take a shot maker. The league is a league of shot makers. It's an offensive league until you get to the playoffs. But Taylor Hendricks is a big-time three-point shooter who has closing speed and, and ability to protect some of the rim. Uh, he's a 3-and-D guy for sure. Uh, he he could play you know four. Uh, doesn't have a beat-you-off-the-bounce game yet, but you know shot fake one dribble or two dribbles. But he's got size, athleticism, length, and he makes shots. And then kind of take a, a big-picture approach and, and really go down memory lane a little bit. But what was it like? I know you see the other trades going down in the NBA, Marcus Smart going from Boston to Memphis. What is it like to see a player that you watched in college? You know, And, and I believe – I remember when Marcus Smart went back to school, it was like the craziest thing in the world. Like, why would he go back? But what have you seen from him and his development and maybe just seeing a player from afar a little bit and seeing them kind of grow into their own and becoming, you know, a defensive player of the year type of player and someone who can obviously help a lot of different franchises now going to the Memphis Grizzlies? Oh, you know, it's such a huge pickup for the Grizzlies. He's a grown man. He coaches a locker room. He hopefully te- if it allows him. He teaches John Morant how to be a pro. He helps him deal with his demons. He keeps him away from the static that could tear his career down. Uh, you know, and uh, it's just an absolutely huge pickup. Huge pickup for Memphis. Uh, you know, you got Jared Jackson, now you got Marcus Smart, a great perimeter defender, obviously a rim protector and multi-positional defender. 
uh, and you've got someone in the locker room uh, that basically can set the tone. So uh, I think it's a big loss for uh, the Celtics, but, you know, they didn't think they could continue moving on. They do have good leadership in Brogdon and Al Hoffer. They bring Pazingas. Now they can play two bigs at some time. They can play two totally different bigs with Pazingas and and, uh, and Robert Williams. Uh, Al Hoffer's not getting any younger. Uh, I think it'll, it'll be very good in ball screens and DHOs with, with Brown and Tatum. Uh, and if Brown and Tatum learn to make each other better, that could be you know an absolutely huge, huge, huge trade for them. Plus, they're getting draft choices, so uh, I think it's good for Memphis. I think it's good for uh, you know good for for the Celtics, and I think that Washington gets a bunch of money off the books. Coach, what do you think of Gigi Jackson, the youngest player in the class? A lot of people speculate that had he stayed another year, he, he could have definitely increased his draft stock in 2024, but he wanted to take the leap now. Clearly with that young age, there's plenty of time to grow and develop, but what did that short stint in South Carolina tell about the 18-year-old? He was great in the game I did. I mean, you know, he's got to learn how to play hard all the time. He's got incredible uh, upside, uh, a little bit immature, which you expect from an 18-year-old, but an incredible number of things he can do in terms of his skill set. I think he's going to be a steal in the second round. I think a steal because, he, you know, what he is is he's a first-round director that's going to drop to the second round. So, Coach, when you look at a player who could be a steal in this draft, you just alluded to it there with G.G. Jackson, but are there other players where you're like, okay, this guy might be flying under the radar, but I do think – I'm higher on him than most, or in a couple of years, he could be someone who's impacting the NBA team. Yeah, I think Jaime Jaquez, grown man, going to go to a good team, fit guy. I'm big on on four-year guys and fit guys. I think that's a really important thing. You know, you look, there's a lot of those older guys, you know, the Villanova guys, the Virginia guys, that stick it out, and, and you know what? All of a sudden, they're helping teams win. You know, they've got a maturity about him. I think Jalen Hurtsifino is a is a guy that's probably undervalued. I think you can plug and play him right away, and I think he could be a very, very good player. Uh, you know, I really like him. Uh, but Inski, the kid from Santa Clara, I think is going to be interesting because of his shot making and his passing. If you speak to Robin Yama, he's going to tell you Kulabale is, is is a guy that's a under the radar, you know, under the radar player. Uh, you know, I don't know what Derek uh, Whitehead is, but, you know, if he goes late compared to where he was projected early, I think that, you know, he's a potential, you know, potential steal per se. Um, so I think they're, they're I, like I – maybe I'm a little crazy. Nick Smith has dropped, but he's a shot maker that we didn't see the best of. Like, like my thing is after three, you know what? You you might get some steals <laughs> because after three you could everyone's got a little bit of an S in their game. Coach, you mentioned Jalen Hutchifino. Let's throw Trace Jackson Davis in there as well. As you look at yeah, the range, I would agree with that. as you look at the range that they're at, like James mentioned for steal or for value. Let's look at fit. When you look at where they're projected for Trace, it's toward the back half of the first round, anywhere from likes of Denver, Utah, and for Hutchifino, Atlanta, a couple other spots. I guess I don't think he'll fall as far to LA. LA. He's to make some moves, but yeah, I think Trace Jackson Davis is more. Most people have him in the second round, which, you know, because he can't shoot it. Right. Uh, if he could shoot ball to 15 feet, it would be all over. 
but I, I think he can run. He's committed defensively. He's got a little bit of rim protection. He can pass. Uh, he rebounds the ball. Uh, and you know what? You can utilize him in that elbow as a driver, a passer, a short roller, who can one dribble and punch it on your head. I, I think he's undervalued. Uh, I, I, I like Trick Jackson Davis. I think he's. I think he's been a guy that's going to play in the league a long time. Now he doesn't shoot like. You know, I used to say Sabonis, but he doesn't shoot like Sabonis. Is there a perfect fit for Trace or for Jalen Hutchinson? Yeah, Jalen Hutchinson. His fit is anyone that that is looking for a hybrid guard or what I call a ball guard. Uh, you know, which is a ton of teams in the league. I think he shoots it well enough. And then for uh, you know Trace Jackson Davis, you know, you know to me he's a culture guy, you know. And I think it goes back to my same thing: you win with character, you win with culture, you win with body, and you win with role identification. Uh, <clears throat> could he be Aaron Gordon? Could he eventually learn to shoot the ball so he could be something like Aaron Gordon? You know, he does a lot of those things. He just doesn't shoot it. Last one for me, Coach. When it comes to Victor Wembanyama, the hype that's been around him. Who are the players that come to mind for you who have had that level of hype? Oh, hype? Oh, it's LeBron. It's no no doubt LeBron. I mean, that's that's 100%. LeBron had greater hype. If you think about the shoe contract. That was my next question, yeah. You know, you think about the shoe contract, you think about uh, the games on ESPN. Remember, back in LeBron, there was no, there was no Twitter. Yeah. There was no Instagram. There wasn't 8,000 blogs. And he still had crazy hype. Coach, last thing on my end before I let you go. If they go with, let's just say, Walker at seven, I, I know you dove into him a little bit already, but where's the biggest area that he needs to improve to be the type of player the Pacers could view as a second or third best player on a, on a real contender in four to five years? Yeah, Jared Walker's got a, you know, he's got a, like, like he, 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 when he works defensively, he's obviously a multiple positional guy. He's physical, he's strong, uh, you know, he showed the ability to face up and shoot it. Although I, you know, when I was at his practice, I watched practice for two days. I'd like to see him in a mid post rip, go elbow, go and be definitive in attacking the basket. Um, and just consistency, consistency, obviously playing for Kelvin helped him, but he consistency, uh, you know, practice. I went, they had to kind of put a foot in his rear end a bunch, a couple of times. He's young. He doesn't, you know, you got to redefine playing hard to beat, and he's still learning that. Coach, always appreciate you making time for us. Looking forward to hearing you on the coverage tonight. And uh, do me a favor while you're in New York. Can you try to get our boy Aaron Judge back on the field, please? Could you just do that for me? Yeah, really. We got well, we got, we got two right now. We just got to keep on playing the Mariners. Exactly. As long as the Mariners are every day, we'll be fine. Yeah. Enjoy the draft, Coach. Appreciate you as All always. Right, All right, buddy. <laughs> it's the coach, Seth Greenberg. And you can follow him on Twitter at Seth on Hoops, providing us the necessary clarity when it comes to the final stages here before tonight's NBA draft. We covered a lot of ground there, James. The last thing and why I phrase it as Jairus Walker is, again, that's that's the lean that it appears to be trending yeah. for them. Mm-hmm. That's not from reports right now. It's just from the avenues they could go, barring something off board, and assuming the Thompson Twins go 4-5 or go before the Pacers pick at 7, it's Jairus Walker, it's Taylor Hendricks, potentially Cam Whitmore. I, I don't see because of the gap and, and what you could get of similar value at seven, I don't see Grady Dick being the pick at seven. And I'm just looking at other players in that range. 
And if it is Jairus Walker, how does that mold well? And he's right. There's still some inconsistency at times with his overall game from beyond the arc. But all these prospects, just like Jairus Walker, 18, 19 years old, and it goes back to the larger point that I know is hard for this generation of fans and is hard for the championship expectations that have been placed in sports as a whole. It's hard to be patient for a two, three, four-year window. And I'm not even saying that they take Jairus Walker, they're back in the lottery next year. We're in the same wave like you and I of they take Jairus Walker or somebody of the like and they're contending for a play-in or maybe even a playoff spot a year from now. But that fit thing is important. And Walker, I think, of all those prospects, can mesh the easiest with whatever style you're trying to play, whether it's a heavy involvement with him and Miles Turner in the front court, whether it is pick and roll or spacing with Tyrese Halliburton, it makes a lot of sense that's the direction they go. We're going to have predictions that come out a little bit later. I, I made a prediction of Cam Whitmore just because, A, I, I did want to be off board, but B, Whitmore was a guy that was in that range two weeks ago and now has been in free fall. Your initial reaction to Seth's breakdown of all those avenues we covered, specifically the Pacers at seven. Yeah, I think he was really high on Taylor Hendricks. I thought, I was like, oh, like, before I could even get the question, I was like, oh, shot maker. Yep. You know, and that obviously matters a lot in, in the NBA, being able to make shots. And that's one of the things that separates college players from pro players. Like, they don't miss open shots. You got to be able to knock down shots. And so that's a big thing. And so he's got me, maybe this is just my uh, prison of the moment. He's got me like <laughs> leaning, like, hmm. Taylor Hendricks, but I do think I agree with you that Jairus Walker might be a little bit of an easier fit because he could play some on the wing, and you still have to figure out the backlog that is Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. You know, what do we do with those guys? And if you add another big to that mix, obviously you're not going to be like freaking out, oh, what do we do? Because you're going to roll with the guy you just drafted. But then that also complicates what you do in that room, or I keep saying room because I'm used to football, but in that position group, and, and how do you, you know, then kind of pivot away from those guys? Because if you remember a, a year ago, I was there. I was at that press conference when Jalen Smith resigned, and again, he didn't have to come here. He resigned for less money. He probably could have got somewhere else because he wanted it to be It was very here. surprising. Yeah. Signs here, and then in that introductory press conference, Rick Carlisle calls him our starting power forward started like that didn't end like that and so you just wonder where does he kind of fit into the equation if you do end up picking another big that would I think be essential to this team's development because they have to get a wing defender or a post slash wing defender because again as Tony East said earlier the offense isn't an issue with Tyrese Halliburton he was plugged in here and it is hit the ground running but now you have to find a way to win a game when it isn't 135 to 128. They need another guy. Like they need a guy who can rebound because, like, rebounding and defense was their two biggest bingo weaknesses. And I think Jarvis Walker fits that to a T. I like Taylor Hendricks, but I just think if you're looking for more of a guy that can fit in next to Matherin and next to Halliburton and Miles Turner, you don't need him to go out there and be some you know yeah. dynamic yeah. offensive scorer. Like, and I think Jarvis Walker fits what they need now and for the long term. Because you're expecting Benedict Matherin to be the two when it comes to scoring options because you don't know what the future holds long-term with Miles Turner because he's got two years left on that deal. And when you look at Walker, I think of him more of like a a Jarrett Vanderbilt, uh, the guy who's really long, he can defend at multiple positions, can rebound, and be aggressive on the defensive end. I will say that 
point about rebounding is a large portion of why Cam Whitmore has always interested me to that point because he has at least shown when given the opportunity to be an aggressive rebounder on both ends of the floor, despite not being, you know, he's not a, a post player by any means, but he is classified as a, a bigger wing, 6'6", 235, at least his listed weight. You would figure, again, that's going to fluctuate like any prospect, but a 6'8 wingspan, again, not quite as long as Jairus Walker, but a little bit quicker in some aspects. And that hasn't been a name that's been linked to this range anymore because of whatever, poor workouts, whatever the case may be. And Seth is right. We've stressed that to the audience a number of times throughout the show and throughout the week that we are now in a territory, just like we warned you during the NFL draft, where double-check everything that you're seeing on Twitter and agents are getting paid for a reason. They are trying to manipulate as much as they can within these markets. Maybe the Charlotte scenario is an exception to the rule because – if MJ is the king of anything, it's definitely of egos, and that wouldn't surprise anybody if the reason, if you were told that the reason they did not take Brandon Miller was because he said Paul George is the greatest of all time, would that surprise anybody in this room? No, I, I didn't think so. Wouldn't surprise me. Outside of that scenario, though, it's all posturing and jockeying for position of trying to get the best out of their players, or if you're a team, you're potentially trying to tank the stock of a prospect you want to try to fall to you. It's gamesmanship. It's chess, James. Let's just get rid of all these other words. It is lying. It is lying season. That is what it is. And I can say this... for that for the NFL. I mean, I could... Seriously, I mean, I could say this as a reporter... (laughs) One of the things that you have to do when you do are vetting these sources and reporting, I try to be as responsible as possible. I don't put anything out there that I don't think is legitimate. But before you put it out there, on our end at least, if you're really serious about this, you have to kind of vet the source that's telling you this because everyone has an interest. The team has an interest. The agent has an interest. The former school, whatever the case may be, they all have interests of trying to maximize whatever leverage they have and so again when you get into these scenarios where you get down to the wire you're going to hear a lot of off the wall things a lot of things that you have to vet and you can't just be firing off whatever you hear because I guarantee you there's going to be situations tonight where something doesn't go as planned or something uh, gets switched around and then whatever reporting would happen between now and then uh, with now and 8 p.m is void. So, I mean, I'm not saying that these guys are lying to you on intentionally or anything like that. I'm just saying when you do have to see some of these reports, there is a bit of lying involved because you're trying to, um, if you're an agent, you're trying to raise your, the stock of a player that you're hoping to get drafted. You know, if you're a team, maybe you're trying to raise it or lower it depending on where this guy, you know, might be. Hmm, I might tell this guy that, yeah, we're, no, you know, we're not too high on this other player. So this other guy drops it. So it's all a game of chess, as you said, that involves a healthy level of lying. If you're not lying, you're not winning in some aspects. I mean, it is what it is. I, I had to learn it the hard way. I'm like, man, like, <laughs> you know, you would love for everyone to just tell you what they really mean and tell you the truth, but I think you lose your leverage when you tell the truth, quite honestly. And so um, everyone will become a little more truthful in about 48 hours. That would always be my biggest fear and the thoughts of, you know, when I, when I was in school and, and taking the crossover journalism classes is I don't want to be the one that is duped and that is the first reporter that <laughs> falls for it and puts it out there, the right? The graphic is out, Jimmy. The graphic is out, indeed. So they, they, they have of, I, I look, 
I know, this is not a disrespectful thing towards James, but it just speaks to we've had a revolving door of of hosts throughout as we continue to roll on the fan midday show. So this is just what I would describe as as, as full time fan residence uh, for predictions. So James' official prediction is not on here, but we have the treasure trove of selections from the fan staff. We'll get into those selections. If you want the early teaser, go follow at 1075thefan.com. We'll go over those selections and find out where James' loyalties lie as we head into the end game towards the 2023 NBA draft on the fan. Fan Midday Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Eddie Garrison playing the tunes. Behind the ones and twos, Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, here in the drivepeople.com studio. Special thanks to you to Jim Trotter. Covered the NFL's gambling policies and the somewhat hypocritical nature of those policies, trying to get things in order. <laughs> Very hypocritical. <laughs> Tony East gave us the localized angle for the Indiana Pacers. Brett Siegel took us nationally, and Seth Greenberg took us on site for tonight's NBA draft. Again, those podcast interviews will be up wherever you get your podcast a little bit later today to search the Fan Midday Show. And of course, you can find them on 1075thefan.com. Predictions have been made, or nearly we save bets and predictions for the final segment of the show. We will save the bets. But it's draft day, and the graphic is out on 1075thefan.com. So we'll address it and let James get in on the action as well. Predictions have been made across the fan for mm-hmm. what the Pacers will do with the seventh overall pick from Ooh, left to right. Should we have him guess who we took? Well, I think he's seen the graphic, but Darn, we can if we want to. You've seen the graphic, correct? I have seen the graphic. All right, so Dang it. it's all right. You I don't, actually don't know who Eddie picked, though. All right. Would you want to take a guess at who Eddie took then? I would imagine it, it, it has to be Walker, right? That, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Smart man. Eddie did Smart take man. Walker. Uh, those that took Walker, Mark Dykton, Eddie Garrison, Nick Cottingem, JMV, off-board picks or off-board moves. James Adams said it'll be a trade for a player, unknown player, but it's a trade for a player. Kevin Bowen goes Taylor Hendricks. Jay Query and Brendan King go Grady Dick out of Kansas. Again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I went Cam Whitmore. There's a lot I like about Whitmore's game and the fall from a top five, top seven pick to 10 to 15 range where he's been mocked lately feels like, again, agent posturing. But I'm at a point where, yeah, if they if they took Grady Dick and reached for him at seven, my initial reaction would not be content. It would be frustrated and confused. So hopefully Jake and Brendan aren't right. But that's why we make these predictions. James, you've not made an official selection yet, but we've, you've had plenty of opportunity, even though you've been on the NFL beat, to reaccustom yourself and reacquaint yourself with all the prospects, particularly after that conversation with Seth Greenberg. Do you have a, a, a feeling or what you would do even with the seventh pick? I would go Walker. I would. However, oh, coach has got me leaning towards Taylor Hendricks. So, I guarantee. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I do not. <laughs> also, it's worth noting Tony East not the best at uh, predicting things, and he said Taylor Hendricks. So it's undoubtedly 
Not Taylor Jarvis Hendricks. Warfare, That's okay. Yes. So it's, it's a lock now yeah. for, for Jarvis Walker. So if you got a mortgage payment, put it on uh, Jarvis Walker plus <laughs> well, 100. He's, yeah, he's plus 100 now at this point in most books, I guess, since we're looking at it from that angle if you're looking for the best value from the selections that have been made across the fan for the draft with the seventh pick, plus 100. This time we're switching to, to FanDuel for the sake of it because DraftKings still has not added the changes made from the ramifications of the Charlotte Hornets rumors if they're going to go Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller. But plus 100 for Jarris Walker, plus 280 for Taylor Hendricks, plus 650 for Cam Whitmore. One of the Thompson twins, uh, either one, Asar plus 850. Amen for a number of different reasons because he's projected to be a top three, top four selection. is plus 2200. If you do want to circle the wagons with Jake Query and Brendan King, however, plus 4500 for Grady wow. Dick to be the selection at seven. It was 34 last night. So if, if you're looking to, to follow them into the void... That is the, don't the potential that. value play I, for you. I, I don't. I don't think he'll be the pick, and I, that's not even a knock on him. I just truly think that that would be a reach. I think that, that would be a reach. Now, if the Pacers are picking at number ten, then it'll make sense to me. But I don't think that uh, he's a player that you can reach for, considering the other skill sets that are available and players that are available at number seven. And it's different with Whitmore because there was at least basis throughout the course of the season that, okay, this is a top 10 selection. For Grady Dick, there hasn't been that much drastic movement with where he's been projected at. He's been tied to some teams and obviously made a number of workouts like all the prospects do, but that's why I feel a little bit more comfortable now, even if at the end of the day, it's probably Jairus Walker just from where things are at. I feel a little bit better about the Cam Whitmore selection because I didn't expect to see Grady Dick once, let alone twice within... The projections, but hey, that's why we have such a great collection of talent and perspective here on the fan, and that's why the only place to get it all is right here on 93.5107.5 and on Twitter at 107.5 The Fan. Grady Dick reminds me of Keegan Murray of this year's draft. Like, you know what you're getting when he steps foot in your organization. Like, he's going to be a terrific three point shooter. The question is on the defensive end. Yeah. Like, that's the big question with Grady Dick. It's like, you know, he'll bring you something offensively, but. And he'll have some sort of a role in the NBA because he's got it. He's just a safe pick if you're right there in that ten in that tennis range. But at seven, I no, no, thank you. If they want to be serious about tuning things up defensively, and that's not just what Rick Carlisle and his staff can bring to the table, and that's not just what you would expect of self accountability from Benedict Matherin and from Tyrese Halliburton to be even better than they were, or in Benedict's case, really get a feel for not taking plays off like he self-admitted during the post-season process or during the end-of-season interview process, I beg your pardon. I want a player with defensive intangibles and defensive principles, not exclusively, but a player that you know from day one they could be a confident player on both sides of the floor as your second or third option for whatever this window is going to be for the Indiana Pacers. Because the truth of all this remains that if we're serious about the Pacers not being back in the lottery in five or ten years with this core, this can't be a bench player right? with seven. It, it has to be a player that is a true starting caliber be a championship team prospect. And that's hard to map out. That's the name of the game when you're dealing with 18, 19-year-olds through the draft pool. But that's the price everybody's paid. That's not a new concept no. by any means. I completely agree, and I think that this is the year 
that could determine the future ones. Obviously, every year determines the future, but like you said, I don't picture them being this high in the draft again if things go well. And we we forget that Tyrese Halliburton's injury last year changed the trajectory of the season. Like I truly think the Pacers would have pushed for a playing spot had he been healthy the entire year. And it's hard to even say don't go for it because of the leap that he took. I mean, everyone was like, wow, like we knew Tyrese was going to be pretty good. But he was like in that discussion for most improved player good last season. And so you take sort of this blessing in disguise with the injury of last season, him missing a bunch of time, use it this year because I don't think you're going to get that kind of break again unless someone is out for an extended period of time. And again, that's not something that you want to happen because that stunts your growth as well. And so you want Miles to be healthy, which he was healthy last year for the first time in a couple of years. You want Benedict to be healthy. You want Tyrese to be healthy. You want all these guys to be healthy. And I think if they are and you add a starter caliber player to that group, you're not going to be picking, you know, six, seven, top five anymore. And I won't be making my Victor Women Yamba Women Be the Indy t-shirts anymore. So capitalize. You know, I'll make a Walker shirt, you know, or a Cam Whitmore shirt. I'll do what I can. I'll work with what has been given, you know. Are you going to use those T-shirts, just repurpose them, or you think just a donation to Goodwill off the bat? I feel like they'll be like the Super Bowl T-shirts. You know, <laughs> everyone always says how they're made, where you check the score in the third quarter, and whoever's winning, you start making the shirts, and then if someone comes back and goes crazy, you just give those shirts away. So I'm sure someone's out there walking around with an Atlanta Falcons Super Bowl victory shirt against the Patriots because everyone <laughs> thought they were going to win that game, and it just isn't. It didn't happen. So I would never waste the material. Sure, I would definitely donate it, but you know, come talk you, to people. You're an artiste. You're very, you're very, you're very crafty. I'm trying you know, to. If, uh, uh, if they do select Jarris Walker tonight, they need to have a Walker, 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 oh, Walker. Oh, my goodness. I do think, though, after – and this is one of the things, <laughs> me being a nerd when it comes to being a writer. Head to the side studio. Is, is that, <laughs> you're right over there. Is that after they, they pick these guys, hearing from the players themselves, right? We've talked so much about how they'll fit with this coach. Like, how do the players view it after they get selected and what does that mean? And what does that mean for the development of the team? And so I know tonight there'll most likely be a Zoom call with the number seven pick for sure if they keep it. And then tomorrow they'll get all the rookies in and be able to talk to them and get their reaction to joining the Pacers, joining Tyrese Halliburton, and sort of being with a team that, to me, isn't a bottom feeder. It's one where you can come in, if you're that number seven pick, play right away and be a factor right away and potentially help this team return to the playoffs for the first time in a while. This whole season and the dialogue and narrative around this team has been the thought that last year was a positive because you saw growth and you saw strides, even though the win-loss record wasn't where it wanted to be, but it wasn't a year with expectations of, I mean, this could be a team that is definitively a playoff team. You're right in regards to Tyrese Halliburton's health and the run they went on to start the season that – is there a sense of maybe missed opportunity to some extent? Sure. We debated that when it happened. I wasn't mad that they wound up in the lottery versus having a, a cup of coffee in the play-in tournament. All that said, if the expectation legitimately is, because I don't agree fully with the premise that in all likelihood they won't be in this same boat next year. I agree that all the evidence would point to them not being in the lottery next year, assuming everybody's healthy, but... It's a weird league. It always is. Association. (laughs) It's a weird association. And for 
all the hype that is around this roster, a misfire with this pick, I'm not saying that it harpens the growth of the Pacers long term, but it's by no means a guarantee, even if they take Jairus Walker, Taylor Hendricks, a Thompson Twin Falls to them, that they're not in this situation or a fringe play-in team next year. Like our our goal, our bar for them is four to six range next year. Out of the play-in, legitimately in the playoffs. We saw how one game, two game, three and a half games was separated between most of that six to ten range throughout the entirety post All-Star break where you just don't know. Like it's not a guarantee the bar we're setting for them next year will take place regardless of who the selection is. And that makes it even more emphatic for me that it is a piece that not only is the right fit, but is able to solve or help contribute to those defensive woes that clearly are needing further adjustments and fine-tuning, even as bright of a defensive mind as Rick Carlisle is. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that's his MO, his defense. And so when you see some of these scores, some of these performances – you're like, okay, he doesn't have perhaps the players that he needs to make it work, you know, to pick it up on the defensive end. And to me, that's more sustainable. Like the teams that are able to defend are usually able to win in a variety of ways. I mean, we talked about it where we were like questioning if Denver's defense was good enough, but it was. Like they, you know, obviously I'm looking at the pinnacle, but they closed out the Miami Heat and played an ugly offensive game. Wasn't that great, but they got stops. They got rebounds. They did things that affect winning, I believe, I want to say at a higher rate, but a more consistent rate than like shot making. Yeah, The Pacers are going to make shots. They have guys who can make shots, but when it gets down to nitty gritty, especially if you end up in a playoff series where you're scouting and you're going through schemes and everyone knows everyone's sets and things like that, you have to be able to buckle down and get stops. And I think that usually separates the teams that are sort of pretending or, or, or kind of sneaking into the playoffs to just be de- being definitively in there because you know you have something to hang your hat on and, you know, not to get too far down memory lane, but that's what the Pacers usually have been known for throughout their playoff history. Like, they've had really good players, but you knew going into that game it's going to be hard to score on them. They're going to make it harder you. They're going to out-tough you. And that's what's sort of missing from this new variation of the Pacers. Like you have an identity with your point guard, you have a direction, but you don't have like that that grit that kind of defines basketball in this state. And that's something like you mentioned that's the core of what Rick Carlisle wants out of his teams. I know it pains him to see those scores. I James, know it. James, I used a picture of Rick Carlisle for a post on 1075thefan.com earlier this week. I kid you not. I looked through no fewer than 250 Rick Carlisle pictures from Getty Images. Do you want to guess how many pictures he was smiling in? Not me. I'll go five. Goose. Oh, my Zero. goodness. Zero pictures. And again, that's not fully fair because I get it. They're just reporters on the sideline. Just you, you know, you, you, yeah, you, you, you got behind the cannon yeah, before. You yeah. understand what goes through that. It's just a bunch of rapid fire pictures. Not a one. Not a one. So I, I get it. I you should hit me up. I got a couple that, are, that got Rick smiling, and you know I got him a smile here and there. That's my guy. I asked him, and 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 I'm still gonna hold him to this. Now he didn't agree to this, but I was like, hey man, you know, before I left the beat last year, I was like, hmm, playoffs. Will we get a playoff TikTok if, if you all make it? Now he would never do that, um, but I do think seriously defense is one of those things where he's a purist in that sense where the league can change and he's been through every variation of it from Mm -hmm. playing to coaching 
but he knows and everyone knows to win in this league and really any league defense is usually easier to hang your hat on and define yourself by than offense. I know the Warriors kind of broke the system, but that's because they're the exception to the rule. They have and they were still great defensive teams. Too. Exactly, exactly. And I, I get it. You can't win a championship with shooting threes, and eh, you can if you have two of the best three point shooters ever, and then you add KD, who's one of the best shooters ever as well. I'm on a tangent, but again, defense has Miami only the got Pacers. to where they were. Only got to where they were because they played, of their ability yeah. to work their tails off defensively and confuse teams with their mixtures of zone and man-to-man looks and their aggressiveness. Of course, there were other things along the way, but that's the only reason they make that run. I completely agree. And I think it's also an Eastern Conference thing. Yeah. Like, how many teams are really putting up these huge offensive numbers when they're Eastern Conference team? It seems like even, especially like that Cavs Nick series, that was, that was old school. Now, yeah. I don't want to watch it again, but... That sort of thing, I think, again, you you kind of laugh at the Knicks or, or what they did, and, and maybe they didn't go as far as they wanted to, but they got out of that series because they could defend. We'll wrap things up, make our final defense of bets, predictions, and overall outlook for tonight's NBA Draft Pacers. Again, as of right now, still hold that seventh pick. We'll close the show out with some bets when we return on the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison here on the Fan Midday Show inside the DriveHuber.com studios. Final time for us here on Draft Day. Again, a reminder, conversations from Jim Trotter, Tony East, Brett Siegel, and Seth Greenberg. You can find them wherever you get your podcasts. Search the Fan Midday Show. Additionally, you can also get them on 1075thefan.com. Now time to... Head towards some bets. We'll have two separate sections here. One, our official bets on the sports landscape, and then we'll throw around with different angles and avenues for you for the NBA draft. Let's get to it. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, we're going to go with two baseball plays. Give me the New York Yankees, twin on the money line over the Seattle Mariners. That a pick em essentially, right now in minus 105. Would that be a broom? It would be a broom. It would be a broom against the Seattle Mariners and a great start to a homestand in the Boogie Down Bronx. Also going to lay one and a half on the Tampa Bay Rays on the run line as they host the Kansas City Royals. Eddie, any baseball picks from you here? Did you just say the Boogie? I did say the Boogie Down Bronx. I did. Boogie Down Bronx. Do you happen to have the team total open for Kansas City? <laughs> the team total open for Kansas City? I do not. <laughs> Give me like five seconds then. <laughs> All right, there we go. We're going under two and a half for the Kansas City Royals. That offense is just putrid. Shane McClanahan on the mat. I really like that. Uh, I'm going in the NBA draft. Uh, there's no really good value when you look at the first three picks. Uh, to me, worth the sprinkle here. It's been moving a lot. Amen Thompson to go four, but... It's minus 180. Don't like the odds there. So we're going at seven. We're going with Jarvis Walker plus 100. If you don't like Jarvis Walker as the selection for the Pacers, or you don't think it's going to happen, go to FanDuel. We don't have a sponsor here on the show. Go to FanDuel. They have the better odds for that specific scenario. If you think Jarvis Walker is going to be the selection, go to DraftKings to make that bet. If you're looking for value on the whole Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, Charlotte Hornets scenario, and you want Brandon Miller... He's the only option for good value. The place to do that is DraftKings at plus 205. I say it's all smoke. I say Brandon Miller ends up in Charlotte. Plus 205 odds from DraftKings. James, I know you're not as aggressive with the betting aspect of things, but any 
criticisms with mine and Eddie's guidance there. What do you think happens at two? Pacers, Jairus Walker at seven. Your thought? Well, you're not a team employee, right? <laughs> no, I am not. Thankfully, don't have to follow all these different rules. And honestly, I was this isn't texting, a practice facility either. So yeah, yeah, I was texting with a couple of workers and with the Colts, and I'm just making sure, like, okay, what are the rules again? What can't you do? I didn't know you were like a prisoner with all these different rules. And so beyond that, um, I think number two will be Scoot. I do believe that. There's smoke, there's a little bit of fire. I think there's some truth to those rumblings. And beyond just the pettiness of Michael Jordan, I think that Scoot Henderson is probably the better player. And then number seven, like I told you, lock it in with Walker. We'll see. But I do, you know, like I said, Taylor Hendricks has intrigued me. Should I go Charles Barkley guarantee? I I won't do it again for the sake of our airwaves, but um, (laughs) I'm excited for the Pacers, though. I think they're in a good spot and a better spot than they were last year, obviously. Plus 280 is the juice on FanDuel for Taylor Hendricks if you think that is the direction the Pacers go with the seventh pick. If you're trying to follow my prediction and Cam Whitmore, he's plus 650 there. And if you're following Brendan King and JMV, or Brendan King and Jay Query, I beg your pardon, Grady Dick plus 4,500 is the juice if you're following them. That's the best place to get that value. James, been a blast to have you once again here in studio. Looking forward to, I believe, we'll have you back in here at some point next week. Yes, I'll be back Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Excited about that. And by then, obviously, we'll know the pick and what's going on and who's going where. And like I said, I might crash the uh, draft party tonight just to say, <laughs> tell Tony East to work faster and give me more trades and things like that. I'll just tweet at him like people tweet at Shams and Woj, like, you know, make sure this happens. A reminder, you can follow James on Twitter at Romeoville Kid. Does a fantastic job covering the Colts for The Athletic. You can always subscribe to his work there on The Athletic as well. Special thanks to Jim Trotter, Tony East, Brett Siegel, and Seth Greenberg. They brought us through the entirety of our draft coverage this afternoon. Tomorrow we'll have a conversation with Kevin Bowen, former front office executive Dan Purcell. Of course, a number of different Pacers reactions as well as we look at what is hopefully the last time for a good minute before the Pacers are back in this situation. At closing time, they still hold the seventh pick. Any other changes in news up to the draft? The Ride with JMV will guide you through it next.